Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Good evening and happy belated Halloween to all of you spectacular brothers and sisters of the leaf. Coming to you live once again from the corner of no hope, it's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight the boys conclude their 8th annual Drunken March to Halloween by stumbling their way across the finish line while discussing the 1989 horror film Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. As they smoke the impressive Herrera Esteli Tienda cigar from Drew Estate, Paired, as always, with a truly terrifying amount of tasty craft beers. Yep, that's right, folks. Your favorite crew of drunken numbnuts got so wasted, when they woke up from their hangovers, it was well into November. And here we are. What a bunch of noobs. But anywho, it sounds like we're in store for one boorific good time. So sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, episode 157. It's like 357. It's like 357, only not as not as impressive or cool or ballsy or manly or it's I guess it's really nothing like a 357. It's more like it really is nothing. Hey, but it's better than Heinz 57. And it's a hundred more than Incident on 57th Street, which I believe was a Bruce Springsteen song from the 70s. No, but it does kind of feel like a miracle on 157th Street. No, no. Oh, that's funny. Y'all can get to make 57 jokes. I don't. The moment I do, everybody, it's just like silence. And now that you're throwing a little baby fit about it, I'm starting to think of the number 187. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our set. Uh, it is episode one fifty seven. I think that's good, just just on its own. Uh, our seventh annual drunken march, aka stumble to Halloween, continues tonight. Boy, we had a good one. We had a good show. Uh, we had a good one for you last time. What was the what was the last time? Ice cream truck. Ice cream truck. Yeah. And, um, so yeah. So the drunken march uh, continued. This might be our. 
our last on the way to Halloween. We might have another one in there before Halloween. We'll see. You never know with were us. You, were, were you all happy because on Ice Cream Truck, the director like sent it out to her fans. It was like, finally, there's a there's a guy out there who gets my cinematic pod, my cinematic. Yeah, uh, she said. Reason d'être. She said this podcast made my day. She just really. It's nice to hear filmmakers say, hey, I listened to your whole three hour show and I really appreciate the thought you put in. It was a very nice reaction. It was. It made me happy. It made my day, and we and we don't get a lot of those. So uh, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll take it anywhere I can get it, man. Um, but yeah, so uh, tonight we continue our drunken stumble uh, to Halloween. And speaking of getting nice and drunk, uh, as it's still, according to experts, one of the best ways to wash away all the annoying shit going on in the world. Y'all ready to drink some beers? Oh, definitely. Do Way ahead of you. You know you. I, I I am, but I actually I can't. I, I, speaking of beers, I, I you know every, I, I do go out and I, I drink some you know when I'm out and about having a few pints. So every now and then I, I reference the TNCC website TuesdayNightCigarClub.com. Hey, that is a great idea if, if you folks at home are at a bar or a pub and you're looking at the drink the tap wall and you're like, hmm, 157 shows now. We've got well over 200 beer. Uh, reviews on our website you go to that search bar you type it in that's a great idea yaks it is you know i use it it keeps keeps it fresh in my mind it helps hey. me to refresh what i've had look at you yak boy moving on well uh, uh to uh you know just you know as i was perusing the site last week uh couldn't help uh you know what the write-ups from our last episode uh episode 156 i couldn't help but notice some of the notes she had written down on our beer pairings Okay, well, I mean, we've talked about this before. I, I, I try my best to capture the spirit of what was said about the beers during the show, and I well, try. To- I, I couldn't help but notice. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just looking at them here right now, as as written by one Matt A. Cade, available to read now on our website. I think again, yeah, I, 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 you're getting the word out there, notice. buddy. I, I I love you for it. So I mean, I just. I mean, I'll have some questions here in a minute, but I think it's important that we read these. Uh, the Doctor's Beer. It was a backyard bock by Tufts Brewing Company. I remember. And, of course, your review, as it states here, is uh, coming in at 5.1%. This typical bock beer features a nutty profile of crushed almonds. And the doc's first impression was yuck. He did say yuck. I was just... But after a few more 12-ounce cans were emptied, he somehow came around to enjoying it. Funny how that consistently happens around here. The doctor reported us that he selected this beer because tonight's film features several scenes where people, which take place in backyards. Yeah, he seriously said out loud with a straight face. The doctor's pairing grade F plus. Huh. Well, excuse me for a moment. I don't know what you're hoping to accomplish here, yeah. But I, mean, I, I was just. That, there's more. Tut is constantly telling me to tell it how it is. Tell it like oh, it is. Oh, oh. Well, let's, let's talk oh, about oh. Tut's beer then. Shark of the Moon Pumpkin Stout. Well, I'm sorry. This was Tut's beer? This was Tut's beer. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember him liking it. Halloween, yes. Halloween Pumpkin Stout? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's all right here. Well, let's, let's, let's go to the review here. 
Huh? 7.5% ABV. This spookily smooth pumpkin scalp features some nice flavors of chocolate dominating cinnamon. By dialing down the actual pumpkin, the Dark of the Moon is far more approachable than other similar seasonal fall releases, and Tut gave it mostly neutral feedback. As far as the cigar pairing was concerned as well, just be sure to space the two out, or else the stout's heaviness can overtake the cigar's nuanced profile if you sip and puff too closely together. Yeah, Yes, cool. the pairing thematically works as far as it's a Halloween movie saddled with a Halloween beer. But if they created a new beer to commemorate Tut's beer selection tonight, it would probably be called the laziest fuck sleepwalker stout. Tut's beer pairing grade C minus. Uh, what was that last part? I'm, I missed. I don't remember typing that. Uh, the, lazy named it, the laziest fuck sleepwalker stout. Is what, I, they, I, is, what I, they, is what they would name a beer if they based it on Tut's picking of beers? I'm thinking that's what you said we're trying to imply, yes. I, I don't remember writing that. Okay. Um, well, I read, an, I read an article where they fired a NYU professor for being too tough. I know that doesn't have any relevance here, but I'm just throwing that out. Yeah, I, I read that same article, and, and I think he was given a, a, a kind of a raw – uh, a raw deal there. Okay, well, I guess there was the two reviews. So uh, uh, no, no, I, I, I hate to interrupt again, but uh, the problem here is the last one is especially interesting because uh, you and I both selected the same beer for the last episode. Oh, we did. We both had the same beer. That's yes, right. we did. Yeah, so we uh, both you and I we had the milkshake IPA by Symbol Brewing Company. Uh, you remember that? Ice cream, ice cream truck movie, milkshake IPA. What a, there what you a go. I mean, what a pairing. What a pairing from both of us. But uh, let's 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 go to the uh, the review. Both Yaks and yours truly, that would be you, expertly paired our beer selection with tonight's movie. I know when it comes to my consistently primo picks, there's no surprise here. But Yaks usually doesn't hit it out of the park like I do. Let's be honest. So I was proud of him, and I hope he continues his look up to me as both an inspiration and a hero as he grows towards becoming an expert pairing guru in my legendary shadow. Only time will tell, though, so let's not all hold our collective breaths as Yak Boy has certainly let us down in the past. As far as the 6.8% ABV and 48 IBU hazy IPA itself is concerned, if you can get past the initial pores aroma of bathtub parts, this beer is Actually, pretty good. Simcoe, Mosaic, Citra, and Idaho Gem Hops all play nicely with the strongly citrus flavors of orange and papaya. That fruit component, benefiting from the inclusion of milk sugars, danced really nicely with our cigars all night long. Yak Boy's pairing grade, B minus. Oh. Hades pairing grade, A plus. Sounds like I knocked it out of the park. Um, and I mean, a, a B minus is nothing to to shrug off. Oh, doctor. Well, I uh, mean, we had the same beer at the same time. Are you, are you, I don't I think we're at different elevations. I to, should I shouldn't have mentioned that it tasted like bathtub farts, or it smelled like bathtub. Is that the issue here? I I am lost. Yeah, I. Uh, I think what you're getting at is people go to the website and do use it as a, as the tool that it's meant to be in, in selecting your beers when you're out, out there in the wild. Is that, is that what you're getting to? Yeah. 
Hey. Okay. I'm getting uh, that you look at the website when you're out there in the wild and you're just like showing it as your credentials. Are you accusing me of weighing the the pairing grades in my favor? Because I object to that. You yes, said that. I didn't. You exactly said that. I'm saying. You so, said that. Uh, I didn't. I noticed that I got an, an F plus. It's kind of. I, uh, doctor, that's the third uh, in, uh, instrument of, of hurting people that you've uh, taken in your hand since Yak Boy went on this diatribe against me. Uh, oh, no, I'm merely uh, working on a. No I mercy. think that can, can't be a diatribe considering that the majority of the words I spoke were your own. A few little repairs here around the old homestead. Nothing like weapons that Michael Myers has used at one time or another. No mercy for old friends around here, apparently. Oh, God. Tut's got an axe. Um, same, same beer. Real Be nice. nice. Real nice, yeah. I'm, real. I'm just following yes. in Mincy's legendary shadow, and I don't mind being in this shadow. Uh, well, you, you better watch those words, Tuts. That would mean you are in the shadow of an F+. Plus. <laughs> I mean, it could have been an F minus. That'd be worse. Well, I that's, am that's a really lazy helping. fuck sleepwalker stout or whatever. If it helps, I did great on. I don't on even three. think you put me as a stout either. I mean, that's what sucked. Uh, I, I think half that yaks was making up trying to trying to score points with you guys, uh, and I did great on a curve. Everyone should have a good hammer. So. Uh, man, Yaks, you just chewed me up and spit me out. Uh, so you just repeat that to yourself. Well, hey, while we're on the subject of not to quickly change the subject as fast as humanly possible, while we're on the subject of chewing things up and spitting them out, uh, we almost featured a movie tonight called Maneater. She's a maneater, maneater on the floor. No, that's man- Maniac. Oh. Maneater's Hall Notes. Oh, here she comes. There you go. Watch out for shoot, shoot you up. Here's what's great and not so great about the movie Maneater, which we were so close to doing tonight. One could say that your incisive prose ate a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, you know, maybe we need to have a, a band a band meeting after the show to iron out some of this stuff. Um, I can't make it, but uh, Todd, if you would just text me the gist of it, that'd be great. Um, so we're almost, so whenever the doctor and I, ever since we were kids have loved shark movies, you make a killer shark movie. The doctor and I are watching the thing. And sometimes I'll see a trailer for a new one. Uh, that pops up or he will and we'll send it to each other and so I I see this trailer for this movie Maneater about this killer great white shark and I just send it to uh, the doctor it came out on to rent like we, a couple weeks ago and he's like all right I'll jump on the grenade I'll I'll uh, I'll watch it and I was like fucking hey all right let me know if it's any good but we, we've been doing this for years I'll watch one and tell him if it's any good if it's great he'll get right on it we just it's Shark movies are our jam. So 
that afternoon I get a text or that night and it's like, you bastard. This is the doctor texting. He's like, you bastard. I know why you want me to watch this thing. And I'm, I have no idea what he's talking about. I'm like, what? He's like, oh, like you didn't know it had Trace Atkins in it. And I'm like, country western music superstar Trace Atkins? That's right. That's right. Dude, so now I'm like, okay, I got now I got to watch it. Dude, <sighs> the one of the worst shark movies I've seen in recent memory. Basically, Trace Atkins' daughter, they live in Hawaii. He's this like legendary fisherman, I guess, or, uh, slash old retired sheriff or something. But his daughter gets gets eaten alive by a man eater uh, out surfing, and so he declares revenge. Uh, he's got like this cowboy hat with these shark teeth in it. He's got all these guns, but it's the, the movie is so god awful. I mean, it's just it's it's the characters are terrible. The if the sea if the shark effects were a little bit better, we might have gone for it. Because I just want to do what I did to Mincy to you guys. Hey, we're doing a shark movie. Just don't watch the trailer. Just hop on in, and all of a sudden there he is. But <laughs> all he does the entire movie is go down to the police station, which is run by you know uh, Bobby Six Killer from the show Renegade with Lorenzo Long. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yes, he's the sheriff. And basically, once a day, Trace goes down there and, why don't you get off your fat ass and do something? A big My old daughter f- was eaten by a fucking fish. <laughs> <laughs> There's like six of those scenes. There's a goddamn fish out there with my little baby's body in its guts. And you're not doing a goddamn thing about it. Dude, is it... it I guess it's time for me to take fucking maritime law into my own head. <laughs> and dude, he seriously cusses so much in this thing. Like he's on his way to his I boat. I kind of want to see it now. I, I know I'm saying stuff that makes you want to see it, but I'm, I'm I'm just warning you. If it was something you wanted to see, we'd be we'd be doing it on the show. <sighs> but eventually, at the very end, uh, maritime law, in my own hands. <laughs> They set it up to where it could be a, a series of films with him hunting down sharks. Nobody know nobody's fished these waters as much as I have. Did he at least kill the shark with a Kubota tractor? No, he he fired a shotgun twenty times into its mouth, and he said something like, "Open up and say, oh shithead!" <laughs> like he had a one liner like, "Swallow this, dickhead." Uh. But but at the end, everyone whose family has ever been eaten by a shark were showing up at his doorstep to get him to, what the fuck are you doing on my door? They're like, we need your help, sir. Fuck off. And then like five minutes later, he's like, all right, let me get my gear. It, it, it's, 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 I don't even know how to. Oh, and the other thing, the other thing that was great about it, I realized we're basically doing a show on Maneater at this point. The, the other, this is how bad the script was. They're these kids, like teenagers or young adults, that are stranded on this island by the shark. <laughs> and uh, he he gets them on the CB. He's, he's out there in the waters, right? And he's like, she's like, help us. Somebody help us. I read you, baby girl. Where are you at? And she's like, uh, we left the big island, and we took a left at a reef, and then we, we went through some waves. 
I know exactly where you are, sweetheart. I'll be there. And dude, there was like 20 of those. Like at one point he's out in the water and he comes across some fishermen and they're like, we just saw a, a, a fin in the water of enormous size. He's like, where was it? We, it was in the ocean. Uh, there was a reef. I know exactly where you're talking. About. I know these fucking waters. <laughs> Here's the great thing, though. <laughs> Trace never has his ponytail. It's either tucked up into a ball cap where you can't see it, or it's just him on his deck with a cup of coffee letting it flow in the breeze. I thought he did okay, and it, Mincy was very adamant. The doctor was like, dude, you're kidding yourself. You just get such a kick out of this guy. He was terrible. <laughs> He is. He is terrible. Everything I've ever seen him in, he is terrible. Well, we... we, we you we, weren't we, killing for food. You were killing for sport, shithead. <laughs> Dude, that, that's that's pretty on the money. I think he says that while he's pushing poor Bobby Sixkiller around, who looks like he might fall over at any minute anyway. Yeah, he's like, Bobby Sixkiller is like, you know... He, he, has, he has like a, a total cheesy name too, like Trace Atkins as Harpoon. Like, listen, Harp. Listen, no, Harp. Harlan. It was Harlan. Oh, Harlan. Listen, Harlan. We're doing everything we can to bring justice to your baby girl. You better watch your tongue, you son of a bitch. The next time you talk about my baby girl, be the last. Thing. Like he's 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 still angry. Your anyway. justice ain't gonna work. So now it's time for mine. And then he lowers his hat with the shark's teeth on it. Fuck fish justice. The only thing makes me more pissed off is getting an F plus on my beer review. <laughs> Fucking son of a bitch. Hey, I would never give Trace Atkins an F on his beer pairing. Let's make that oh. clear. Oh, you wouldn't, would you? No, because I'm sure he'd, he'd try really hard to do good. Oh, I see. I didn't. You don't become a country western music superstar by half-assing it. Let's see what we got over here. Oh, Jesus. Thanks, Yax. Appreciate you. Anyway, so if you're interested, in I'm just home, saying that when you come up with titles like "Honky Tonk," "Badonka Donk," you are putting in the effort. Well, he created that thing. That such a such a term. Actually, I don't think so. I think somebody else wrote the song and then he just sang it. Yeah, I can't see him sitting on the deck with his hair blowing, his coffee, coffee uh, "Honky Tonk," "Badonka Donk." God damn, I'm good. <laughs> I gotta go get some fucking cornflakes. God damn it. He he was on uh God, here we go down the trace wormhole. He was we got on- beer and cigars to smoke that I've been patiently holding <laughs> off on. So I'm gonna give you an allowance to do a little bit no, more trace action. No, last thing I'm gonna, last thing I'm gonna say is he was on Bill Maher last week. Uh promoting Monarch. Eight o'clock Eastern, only on Fox. And he, and he was Obviously, you know, because he I guess he was on that Trump show, The Apprentice, a couple times and he won it once. So like he and Trump have kind of this unique kind of thing. And um, anyway, you know, they have like the round table thing at the end of the Bill Maher show where it's like three panelists and some some liberal panelist. Uh, they were talking about the difference in the mentality between North and the South or whatever. And Trace is just sitting there with his hat down low. He's not really saying anything. And and. Uh, this poor chick said something like, well, you know, there's a lot that the South hasn't apologized for. And I think that's a big problem still in America. And all of a sudden for the first time, Trace is smoking. He's like, I ain't apologizing for shit. 
it just got real quiet. And like, and Bill Maher was like, well, Trace, I don't think anybody's asking you to apologize for anything. And he's like, uh. <laughs> go, go check, uh, go check that out. You need to hit replay on the lady person here because she just said the Sal hasn't, hasn't apologized, and I am the Sal. <laughs> You ate my daughter, you fucking fish. <laughs> oh man! All right, you know what? Maybe we will do a show on Man Eater. I'm starting to think. I'm starting to think that might be a good idea. We've already done one. All we got to do is like cut five more scenes into this, and then they go. There really You're... isn't much more to it. Although there is Jeff Fahey. Uh, Jeff Fahey does play the local marine biologist, shark expert at the community college. Who trace kicks down his classroom door and walks in there. Why don't you tell him the truth? <laughs> this motherfucker's psychotic. It's a shark. Harpoon man or whatever. What did he wrote last thing, doctor? Did I, did I get that wrong? What does he say right when he kills the shark? Is it open up and say, oh, you shithead? Uh, it's a, this is going to sting somewhat, shithead. <laughs> Shithead. Okay. Uh, well, next episode 158, we'll be doing Maneater. <laughs> In the meantime, we have a different tale to tell you this evening. First, there's two other uh, quick things we must mention before we get into that. One, every episode, of course, we pair a feature film and our discussion of it with a premium cigar and a plethora of different exciting expertly selected craft beers or spirits uh tonight we are going to do the herrera esteli tienda vintage cigar lounge exclusiva by drew estate that's a mouthful it is a six by 52 toro connecticut broadleaf wrapper indonesian binder which usually means they want uh the filler and wrapper to shine in Indonesian kind of stays out of the way uh, and filler Nicaraguan. I'll save uh, price till the end. These were submitted to the Tuesday night cigar club by our buddy Rev Java. Rev. Hey, thank you, Rev. He, uh, he really, he got the, his hands on these. Um, it is a shop exclusive and thought we might enjoy them. And I, as, as well, probably more so these days, Tut is a big broadleaf fan. And I am excited to try a Herrera Esteli in a broadleaf wrapper. Let me tell you a little bit about it. In a press release, Willie Herrera, Drew Estate's master blender, had this to say about tonight's blend. Vintage Cigar Lounge has been a huge supporter of Drew Estate and the Herrera Esteli brand, and I wanted to create a unique blend just for them. The Indonesian binder allows the wrapper and filler filler tobaccos to shine. (laughs) That's where I heard that. I thought I'd be smarter when I was describing this. I'm like... Usually, guys, they use an Indonesian binder to let the uh, wrapper and filler tobacco shine. And then right here in my notes, Willie really says that. Uh, Sounds like hey. this part of the show gets an F+. Plus. Willie get, no, Willie's grade is a, is a C- minus, as in lazy sleepwalker. Uh, my grade? No, that was Willie's. A's grade on this segment is A+. Plus. I like your style. I like your style, Tut. Uh, rich, but not overpowering. Sweet and complex. The Herrera Steli Tienda exclusive for Vintage Scar Lounge is a real flavor bomb. That's what Willie said. Uh, we spent enough time around Willie to know that when he says flavor bomb, that's definitely a reason to get excited. Right, Tut? Mm-hmm. 
Are you excited? I am excited. Uh, and as far as pairing with tonight's film, okay. The Phantom of the Mall is concerned, Tienda, the Herrera Esteli Tienda, translates to store as it is a shop exclusive for Vintage Scar Lounge in Rhode Island. That's where Rev got these. A mall has many stores or tiendas, if you will. So you can see why this pairing, as always, makes perfect sense. I will beat you guys to the punch and give myself an A plus for the cigar selection this evening. Now that we're all on the same page. Tut, what'd you get on that cold draw? Um, a lot of sweetness. Cold draw is a little the... bit of sweetness coming off of it. There's also a little bit of a tea component. I love the smell when I first smelled it. Uh, beautiful barnyard stuff. I mean, it was this was like sitting in a hay stall or a horse stall. It was it was great. It, re- it, it uh, so really like is the, uh, loaded with rodeo stuff. It's a it's a nice rustic looking rustic feeling cigar. Uh, yeah, and then like I said, the cold draw. I got some uh, sweet that sweetness component there. There's a little bit of a tea component there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested. I am getting your. It's like an unsweet unsweet tea. Uh, an unsweet iced tea on there. Uh, really, a load of uh, sweetness. Very similar to like red man chewing tobacco. Like yeah, <clears throat> big time. Is that what you're getting yet? Everything else, Tut, say uh, copacetic with you yet? Pretty much. I mean, I, I'll go with the barnyard. I mean, mine is just like the outside is like like cedar. I mean, just cedar chips. Okay, cedar, rodeo shit, uh, unsweet tea and sweetness. This, uh, this has all the makings of a good broadleaf smoke. Uh, while we set them on fire, the next thing to discuss is what we're all drinking tonight. Back in the good old days, we used to all gather here in the corner of No Hope and drink the same thing. And the one good thing that uh, the pandemic caused by us being in these four little squares on your screen is it made us go out and get our own drinks and drink different things from each other. So hopefully at the end of the episode and after you read my uh, detailed notes on the website, you'll be able to see which beer went best with that cigar and why, or if you if you're a gambling man, take some risks and uh, drink a pumpkin beer like Tut. Yes, Tut. Okay. I have to, I have to break in because, uh, I've never noticed this on a cigar before, or at least I've never, maybe maybe I have and I haven't been able to express it. Okay, so it's not a it's not like a black pepper heavy Nicaraguan first initial light that you get from a lot of a lot of uh, uh, the Nicaraguan stuff. Uh, I think that that Indonesian really kind of tamps it down. Uh, but here's it, it, man, it's just really kind of interesting when. I go across the palate. There is this bread or toast component that, after it sits, transitions to a really bright cedar. And that's I, I've never had a, my palate transition like that. That's what's I don't know whether that's I'm catching the back end of that retro hell or not. I've just never had my palate transition. Normally, it's normally I could just boom. That's that's the taste right there, and that's it. Like like with one puff, you're getting the transition within that one that same that same puff. All right, so you take a puff, you exhale a little, you retrohale, 
and then you let it sit. And then there's like this transition between a bready toast to bright cedar. And it happens like three to four seconds after the retroveil. Okay. Uh, I, I will back you up on the toast, uh, the, the kind of toastiness on the front end of the, of the draw. Um, and I guess, yeah, I, I guess my palate kind of separate differentiates them, but I, but I, that bright cedar is also, uh, I'm only giving you the bright cedar thing because Sokka commended you on it and gave you the, no, that was, that was bright leather. He commended the bright leather. Oh, okay. He never commented on bright cedar. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give it my stamp of approval. Uh, yeah, it, it is a very, you know what, how about we call it uplifting cedar? Yeah. Okay. Like a bright cedar, you know, <laughs> like a bright tune kind of uplifts it, you. It is an uplifting cedar uh, joined by, joined by some toasted bread. And I am getting a, a very minimal amount of pepper on the nose. I mean, it's not, it's not eye watering spy, but it's enough right, to, right. it's enough to let you know that, that you're smoking a broadleaf yeah. cigar. And this thing's a smoke show. It uh, is. It is just pouring. I, in that aspect, it reminds me, I'm not a huge fan of the original Herrera Esteli, uh, the red band. I, uh, out of all the Herrera Estelis, and I think they consider Norteño one now. Obviously, if that's the case, Norteño is my favorite. Yeah. Uh, but, but after that, it would have to be the Brazilian. I, I really like that one. That is a I dark one. Do I do too. That's a dark oily son of a bitch. That's the the blue the blue band. Don't don't sleep on the red band Lancero. Uh, it was only that Vitola that I liked, but the Lancero was good. You we are in total agreement. I had the Lancero for the first time down at in Nicaragua touring Drew Estate, and I turned to uh, George from Stogies who was walking with me, and I was like, "This is the best Herrera Stelli I've ever had." Like I'm not really a fan. Uh, this is a phenomenal answer. Agreed. Um, and I also got a pig of it that was, uh, it's not a released, I think it is now at events and stuff but at the time, uh, that was really good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not as a spooky, scary, dark, uh, broadleaf cigar. It's actually got it's some, very approachable. Yeah. It's got some really nice nuance, uh, with, with that toast and, and cedar and, and peppers. All that sound copacetic to you yet? It does. So far, I'm, I mean, and it smells right there, really, that, that, smells that really little good. bit. I, I'm going to be, I, I, I'm not necessarily picking up that transition on the retro hail, but it is a, it, it's solid. So, okay. Well, I will come back to it soon. I might have to move it. This thing's like smoking me. <laughs> and, I don't know whether it's just the night. There's not a lot of air movement in here. It's just hanging right here in front of my face. I know. Um, are you guys still there? Yes. Uh, okay. Well, uh, let's move on to the beers. Uh, keep this train rolling. Yak Boy, uh, the owner and sexiest bartender at O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown Historic Temple, Texas. Are, are you still the sexiest bartender? I am. Okay. I just want to double check. I'm be, I, I always I, will be. I have not been by there in a while, but I, I'm going to always assume you're the sexiest. Uh, well, 
until the doctor starts working there. Once his life goes tits up, <laughs> then you guys are going to be battling it out. You've seen how many weapons I have around here to inflict uh, damage on myself, don't you? <laughs> you shall be the sexiest bartender in Central Texas, my friend. Uh, speaking of the doctor, no, I meant on I, myself. Yeah. Oh, I've never had uh, Cody <laughs> will be the sexiest bartender who ever lived. Yag boy, uh, as our resident beer expert, why don't you tell us what the doctor's drinking tonight? Good doctor is having from Bell's Brewing the Oberon Wheat Ale. Oberon. 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 Oberon Wheat Ale. Bell's uh, out of uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, back going all the way back to 85. Uh, we, of course, have have had them on the show before uh way also way back in episode 66 they uh they they uh, do that they do that brown porter don't they well they do the brown porter but i was specifically saying this uh two-hearted they did the belt two-hearted ale this because we did the uh, tale of two corys so there was a nice pairing part in that uh the oberon itself uh it's 5.8 percent 10 ibus it is a weed ale so it'll be a little bit on the much Lighter side. Oh, to no say hopes. It. Say it. Say it. Well, I mean, I think we can just say it right now. I guess he's just going to get another F plus. Huh? Just no, not good enough. No. Doctor, no. doctor and I talked on the break. We've we've moved past the ugliness. Um, I I offered to uh, do some tut- tutorials over Zoom on on how to pair your your beer selections better. He seemed open to that. I we're adults here. We're adults here. We're not, we're 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 going to be just fine. Well, as you know, or I guess I assume too much because it occurs uh, to me that the graded and the grade E probably are on different intellectual levels. Yak Boy, of course, would know that Oberon was the main character in William Shakespeare's play Midsummer Night's Dream. Indeed. Uh, so therefore, Oberon is a character from a great work of literature, whereas the Phantom of the Opera was a novel from the early 20th century written by the French author Gaston Leroux. Therefore, we had two characters who are both from classic pieces of literature uh, outside of the United States. I thought there was an intellectual tie in there. Uh, however, the truth of the matter is that uh, I was in the grocery store and there was a beer steward who came over to me and said, what kind of beer do you like? And it was very Trace Atkins-esque. It was a, what kind of beer do you like? And I was like, you know, rather than saying, I really don't want a thing here. Please just leave me alone. I just said, oh, I'm just looking for something I haven't had before. And uh, I thought that was the brush off. And then I opened a cooler and started to look at this. And he said, oh, that's one of Bill's. That's one of their best ones. And so I just kind of grabbed it and went away because I didn't want like a thing. Uh, <laughs> I've chosen this beer simply to escape a person. That's exactly. a good goddamn wheat beer, you motherfucker. So I, I, I fled the, I fled the. Uh, green green grocer. Adult beverages. Uh, well, okay. well, Mincy, I liked everything about that, except I do have to correct you. I think you're wrong. Everybody knows that Phantom of the Opera was written by the great Andrew Lloyd Webber. I mean, that's just that's science. But you know, there you go. But it was a novel first by French author Gaston Leroux. Actually, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm sure that they idiots. novelized it after the success 
of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera. With all due respect, you idiots, it was actually a. These are all based. What you guys are talking about are based off a of Brian De Palma movie called Phantom of the Paradise, uh, which then led to the Phantom of the Opera and uh, Dick Buckus or whatever his beer is called. You guys are something else, let me tell you. But the French author Gaston LaRue's novel was published in 1909, whereas Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical first hit stage in 1986. Uh, I mean, I've heard it both ways. No, you haven't. (laughs) Would you be surprised if you learned that Trace Atkins' dog was named Oberon? Actually, yes, I would. (sighs) Oberon. Get over here, you son of a bitch. Get the feeling his dog's name is Fish. <laughs> hey, or dog. Here, fish. What do you call fish? Dogs. Want to want to fight about it? No, I don't, Trace. I think we're all just looking to get by, Trace. Fuck you. Okay. Uh- uh, so how is the Oberon wheat, uh, beer doctor? Well, I'm afraid it's far too early to tell. Okay. I'll accept that answer. Again, I did get an F plus. On All that. right. I'm moving on, moving on, moving on. My hey, God, uh, the pain and self-pity I'm feeling right now. Every <laughs> fiber of my being is on fire with anguish and <sighs> sadness. I... Get get over it, dipshit. Uh, what? It's, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. Okay, okay. Um, I'll reflect that in my in my notes on the episode page. To quote uh, James Coburn from the movie Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, "Why don't you take your pairing grade, set fire to them, and shove them up your ass?" Dude, that was actually a pretty good James Coburn impression. Maybe get a C on that one. <laughs> you, you certainly didn't hurt your cause any. Uh, let's go to Tut next. Yaks, what's Tut drinking tonight? Tut wearing his seven years of uh, March Halloween, seven years we get to see Tut in that skin-tight pumpkin shirt. Well, it didn't start out skin-tight seven years ago. I'm sorry, I, I buy uh, the... the, the uh, Rules and regulations of the FCC, I need to alert uh, the ladies out there. Before you tune into us on YouTube, prepare yourselves. The floodgates are opening. It's 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 something to behold, Tut in this shirt. Oh, God, he's petting him his chest. Well, uh, just as Tut is dressed like the Great Pumpkin, oh. he is drinking the Great Pumpkin. Oh, another Elysian ales. Another Elysian. Yes, he had had the one last time on the last episode, and this time from Elysian, also the Great Pumpkin, an Imperial Pumpkin Ale. Mm -hmm. Elysian made the world's first Imperial Pumpkin Ale. Really? The Great Pumpkin. It's sad when Tut holds up his pumpkin beer in front of the camera, and it still looks like Tut. I got it. (laughs) I, I was like looking at him, like, all right, you know, oh, that was his beer. It's uh, Tut, another week, another beer, uh, pumpkin beer. How is it? Oh, it's great. It's 
No, <laughs> he's uh, like, you need to watch out for the Great Pumpkin. It is 8%. Uh, Oberon laughs at your 8%. Uh, it's nice. The, uh, it doesn't have... Um, it's not very heavy pumpkin, but it is still there. It's distinguishable. Uh, it's a very, it's a, it's got a bit of a coriander, some cinnamon. There's a floral component to it, a light floral component. It's almost triple esque. Um, I guess it's just because you got that pumpkin, and then you got the coriander, and you got the other stuff. <laughs> I guess in there's there just, as well. it's just, there's so much goddamn. <laughs> <in there. laughs> uh, it's good. It, it's uh it's it's interesting and unlike last week's beer where I had to separate the cigar and the beer. Right, right. This is getting a little bit more complimentary into into it, where that uh that that the beer's uh, accenting the cigar sweetness and floral components. Yeah, I'm not. That's actually that's actually a really good note because I'm not getting any of that chewing tobacco luscious sweetness that we got on the cold draw. None of that is presenting itself to me. Uh, once I once I lit this thing on fire, are you getting any sweetness, Yak Boy? I got, you know, in the cold draw there was a thing, and then now, in the very beginning, there was still a slight sweetness. I guess that's not a fair question though, because we don't know what you're drinking, Yaks. You could be drinking something that's bringing the sweetness out of it as well. Uh, I think Maybe. I jumped. Yaks is drinking the double imperial chocolate style. I think I jumped the shark there, Yaks. I'm sorry. Who said, did you say something about a shark? Yax is drinking the Grey Goose. Vodka. <laughs> He's just drinking straight vodka at this point. Uh, okay, so you actually don't have to space it out with the cigar. It's actually complimenting it well, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're doing pretty good, and, and, and I, like the, uh, I like the beer. All right, well, Yax, I guess I led right into uh, your beer. What are, you, what are you drinking, pal? I'm drinking... The Double Down Double IPA from St. Arnold. That's a good the beer. Good St. Arnold out of Houston. It's a really good beer. It is. It is. Double Down is 9.2%, 71 IBUs, which it falls a little shy of that in, by my palate. But, you know, St. Arnold is well known. We have had many of their beers. The yeah. Nancy Lawnmower, the Santo. The art car. So, and of course, I chose this one. Yeah, by it being St. Arnold. So, tonight's movie, uh, Phantom of the Mall, takes place in a mall. And that mall just happens to be the same one by that person behind you on the shelf. It's the exact same mall from Commando. It is. Uh, the mall from Commando. That's your <laughs> uh, if you'll excuse me just for one second, boys, I need to make a few quick show notes. That's the best one ever because not only is it a tie-in, but he's sitting right behind you. If that's not a plus, that's an A plus for making that shit up on the fly. I'll, Actually, uh, it's not. Oh, okay. Mall. It is the actual mall from. No, no, no. no, Yaks and I tie in really good. No, it's just. I just think they're like, oh shit, I need a tie in. I like. Oh. I like that we're building up hype for people to go after they listen to the website to see how everyone did on their pairings. This is this is good. This is uh, this is this is building 
uh, some 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 hype around the the Tuesday Scar Club website that makes me very aroused. Um, I said he's going to give me a C for I've commando. Had, I've had the double down uh, C for commando before. Uh, <laughs> uh, I imagine it's going pretty well with the cigar. It is. It really is. Okay. Uh, I mean it. Like I said, they said it's you know around seventy IBUs. I'm not really picking up just a ton in terms of the the hoppiness, but I like the flavor. Okay, it is a solid IPA. Uh, it is, it is. I like the I like St. Arnold as a brewery. You didn't go so far as to say that in the movie Fan of the Mall, there are certain people who double down on the risks that they've taken. I would give. I mean, if it were me, I would give you an A plus. That's true. Well, it's not you. Well, it's getting um, a D for double down. More's the pity. <laughs> uh, well, if you want to double down on a D, that would be a D minus. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. I, I think we should move on past the whole grading thing. It's so arbitrary, and and I mean, it, it's honestly so scientific that. Nobody other than me would even understand the process. Uh, well, I mean, as one who sleepswalked through the podcast anyway, I doubt that I would even pay attention to it. Unless you have a friend who works at NASA, don't don't bother trying to figure out how I do what I do. Uh, speaking of what I do, tell the folk, good folks at home what I'm drinking, Yax. A beer. I am drinking a beer. You are having the... Phantom Bride by Belching Beaver out of Oceanside, California. Oh, good brewery. Good brewery. Now, uh, you have had the – this is the hazy Phantom Bride. You have, you have had their regular. regular IPA, the Phantom Bride, back in uh, episode 133. Correct. I did that with the Leprechaun, Leprechaun. movie in space where he had the, the bride he was – trying to uh, wed, whereas this is the limited edition double dry hopped hazy Phantom Bride. And it's good. I, I, I've got kind of burnout on hazy beers uh, or hazy IPAs because they seem to have kind of taken over the IPA market right now. And I kind of miss going to the bar and just having a, a wider range of different Perhaps IPAs. Perhaps a regular IPA. Yeah, that, that would actually be Really, really good. But as far as hazy goes, uh, it is quite good. What are the stats on this thing, X? Uh, it is 7.1% ABV. Now, I could not find an IBU. I don't know if they've got it written on the can or anything like that. No, it's it's a hazy, so I, I put it. I mean, it's it's fairly low. Most of the hazies are, are 50 or below. I put it mid-40s. Uh, it's good, though, and it's... Um, it's, it's actually, it's, it's got a nice citrusy, uh, kind of back into it, which I was hoping might bring like Tut's beer kind of attract some of that, draw some of that sweetness out of cigar, but not so far. Uh, that's not to say it's not pairing well, it's, it tastes great and it's not getting in the way, but, uh, I think, uh, I think Tut's inherently sweet pumpkin beer might give him an advantage tonight. Um, We'll see, uh, because right now I'm still just getting the the cedar and the and the, and the bread and uh, that you know it, it's noticeable with minimal amount of spice. Has anything changed for you, Ted? 
I just really like that toast component. I've always been a fan of the toast component, I guess, because I, I make up for my lack of creaminess by really just loving that toast. And then when you got that black pepper coming through the retro hell, I just I love that combination. I also like the fact that this this is flavorful, but it's not a heavy cigar. Like my palate isn't, you know, weighed down by all the no, intenseness medi- of the cigar. It's no, a very medium, light smoke cigar. Medium body, uh, medium body, especially, you know, surprising for broadleaf. Uh, medium body, uh, hell, I'd say mild to medium strength, uh, but yeah. with a really nice finish. That that toast lingers on the on the palate for quite some time, well after the pepper and the cedar are gone. Uh, yeah. Construction's been great so far. Look at that stack of quarters. I guess stack of nickels would be more accurate. But uh, yeah, it's smoking great. Uh, speaking of cigars, Tut, you know who makes some really good ones, don't you? Man, I would think that um, Willie Herrera, the master blender over at Drew Estate, the they very, make really good the, cigars. The very guy who's making tonight's cigar, yeah. And Drew Estate has another new stick out right now that y'all will definitely want to get your hands on. Introduced during Freestyle Live Special Edition, 20 Acre Farm by Drew Estate is a complex and medium-bodied cigar. With super oaky and cedary notes, accompanied by a whisper of white pepper and a bright hint of citrus. Hey, they're using your bright adjectives in here. A bright hint of citrus. 20 Acre Farm is built using a velvety Ecuadorian Connecticut shade-grown wrapper, a sun-grown Habano binder, and a filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa blended with the opulent and majestic Florida sun-grown leaf, which is humbly and lovingly grown one harvest at a time, by Jeff Borshowitz on a pristine 20-acre plot of land near the central ta- Florida town of Claremont. Uh, and when they say lovingly grown, Jeff actually tucks all these tobacco plants in with a little blankie every night, reads them a story. Uh, it's like no other tobacco farm on the planet. Uh, we actually went down to Claremont a few years ago to the Barn Smoker, uh, got to see that farm. Speaking of the TNCC website, which is getting a lot of... Uh, uh, jibber jabber tonight. The doctor wrote up a really, really good uh, write up about our trip to Florida. So go over there, uh, do a search for Florida Sun Grown, and you'll find it. And real quick, uh, for years, the the man responsible for well a lot of our relationship with our headline sponsor, Drew Estate. And who sends me these these great scripts to read? Uh, Joe Grow was the they're kind of our point man at Drew Estate for many many years, dating I think when we first started uh, working with Drew Estate back in 2018 17. Uh, we kind of got thrown into the the fire with Drew Estate the same time Joe did, um, and. He's he was just a phenomenal partner to work with. I uh, grew to really respect and like the guy personally a lot. And uh, since our last show, he has announced he's moved on uh, from Drew Estate. He's now working at Quality Importers, who's a huge another huge name in the industry. They uh, own the Zycar brand of cutters, lighters, uh, ashtrays, you name it, uh, as well as uh, a slew of other products. Uh, for cigar smokers. So I want to congrat, say congratulations to Joe 
on his new gig, but also uh, thank him for uh, it was, we had a lot of good years working with Joe and I, I just, well, we don't say enough on the show about the people we like cause we dislike so many people, but J- Joe grows one of the good ones in the industry. So, uh, congrats Joe. And, um, it's going to be, uh, different moving forward without him with, uh, with Drew state, but I I've got confidence that, uh, it's, it's just going to be, a, a a new normal with some other really good guys and, um, but I want to give him a little shout out. He, he always had our backs and uh, our our best interests at hand. So uh, go get him, Joe. We, lo- we love Yay, you. Hey, Joe. Doctor, do you want to wish some well wishes to Joe Grow? Uh, absolutely. I, though I only met him once and only spoke to him briefly. And I guess that was in 2018. Uh, but he seemed like a nice guy. So uh, he yeah. loved you. He loved you. I don't think he remembers me at all, or uh, I don't even think we <laughs> talked about you for the next four years. I think we had any sort of relationship whatsoever, but uh, he seemed like a nice fellow the time that I made his way. He was awesome, and uh, well, we're going to miss him, but uh, excited about moving forward with Drew Estate nonetheless. Um, and that leaves us, boys, with one remaining thing to discuss. Uh, what do we do here? We talk about a film a cigar, a shit ton of beers, and we make it all fun and exciting. I hope you folks at home are having fun and getting very excited uh, because tonight our second entry into this year's Drunken Stumble to Halloween is somehow a 1980s horror flick that escaped the doctor and I. Uh, it did not escape my eyes in the video store. I remember the bots. But for some reason, and I can't explain it, I'm just, God, my family can attest to this because they say it daily. I'm such a weirdo. Something about the byline of the title. If it was just Phantom of the Mall, I probably would have rented it and rented it again and again. Something about Phantom of the Mall, colon, Eric's Revenge. I just hated that, that, that Eric's Revenge part. I'm like, I'm not watching that. It makes no sense. I can't explain why I hate Eric's Revenge. But it seemed to me like a name for a sequel. Well, yeah, and yeah, that's I why I, I was wondering after I was like, is there a and is there a Phantom of the Mall movie? Like Yeah, the, there should have been Phantom of the Mall, and if there's a sequel, it should be Phantom of the Mall Eric's Revenge. Why would you say Eric's Revenge if nobody has seen this movie yet? Nobody knows who Eric is. Or maybe there is a Phantom of the Mall movie and it was so terrible. They've destroyed all trace of it. And so all we have to know about the original is this one. Well, unfortunately, yeah. Somewhere next to all those old E.T. Atari cartridges, there's a pile of VHS tapes, Phantom of the Mall. Well, we'll never know. But I'm pretty sure there was not a other Phantom of the Mall. This This is it. This is... This is what we got. Uh, it is from 1989, a particularly good year in American history. Big fan of 1989. Uh, fan of them all, Eric's Revenge, written by... Let me uh, clear my throat here. There's so many people involved in writing this movie, surprisingly. Tony Mickleman, Robert King, and Scott Schneed from a story by Schneed, who was a producer on the 1984 classic Silent Night, Deadly Night. And uh, Frederick R. Ulrich, 
The film was directed by Richard Freeman, who directed several episodes back in the 80s of three classic horror TV series. You guys remember these, maybe. Tales from the Dark Side, the show. Mm-hmm. Yes. The ultimate horror show from the 80s, Monsters, which doesn't get any love. But that shit used to come on after Saturday Night Live on Saturday nights. I'd stay up and what Monsters was awesome. And then he also directed some episodes of Friday the 13th, the series. Okay, yes. Uh, which actually ran for quite a bit. It didn't have anything to do with the Friday the 13th movie. Yeah. But uh, those were kind of the the only one he missed out on was Tales from the Crypt, really. If he had Tales done, yeah. if he had done yeah. that, he would be like the go-to uh, 80s TV horror guy. Um, anywho, we start things. Uh, you guys ready to start this thing? Do it. I am. So we start things off with a pre-credit sequence where a shadowy figure climbs down from a large air vent into a sporting goods store in the mall. After stealing a leather jacket, a crossbow with some arrows, and a mannequin head, a security guard on patrol stumbles across the figure and pays for it dearly by getting repeatedly stabbed in the arrow, stabbed in the chest by one of the crossbow arrows. Doctor, that's going to hurt really bad, right? I, I, I would think it's going to be terribly painful. I mean, it, there's just... It's it's not really like a knife or Tut's axe where it's meant to chop things. It's a crossbow yeah. arrow that needs a propulsion behind it. So just getting punched in the chest with it, I mean, my God, that's got to every fiber in his chest cavity must be on fire with pain. My God. Do you think he'll be at work tomorrow? Probably not. I'm afraid it's far too early to tell. Normally, I'd agree, Doctor, but... Probably, probably not. Spoiler alert, he, we never see that guy again. He's dead. Uh, the next morning, slimy real estate developer Harv Posner, maybe my favorite name we've ever had anybody on the show. If you guys are ever looking for me, like I've, I've dropped off the grid, start going to all the cheap motels and asking if there's a Harv Posner signed in. Uh, slimy real estate Ron Mexico (laughs) what was the guy from robot uh, robot ninjas Sammy Coleslaw is that it I might be checked in under Sammy Coleslaw if the Harv Posner thing gets too hot Uh, (laughs) well he's giving a speech at the brand new Midwood Mall no more driving around shopping in the rain he tells the crowd no more wondering where your kids are on a Saturday night. This mall is going to solve it all. And he gives a huge amount of credit to Midwood's bombshell of a mayor, Miss Karen Wilton, played by real-life bombshell Morgan Fairchild. Wearing an attractive 80s coral-colored pantsuit, and a large flowery mum on her chest, as was the style at the time. Uh, Does the boy, mall opening usually require a giant press conference with about forty yes. or fifty dignitaries and assembled members? With, it, with, with yes. the size of that mall, yeah, that was an impressive mall. I mean, as we're gonna, as we clearly saw in the beginning here, the air vents are enormous. Elephants can walk through them. This is the they mall. Sure, they sure can. 
Uh, was I the really... only one who got? Was I the only one who got nostalgic for malls? And I, oh no! I never. Honestly, uh, honestly Ty, no, I'll go ahead and say it now. Well, first of all, Mayor Wilton's not showing up to any old mall opening. This mall truly has it all. Uh, a big portion of why I chose this movie was because we grew up in malls. We're of the generation that spent a huge chunk of our formative years in malls. And while Stranger Things, I think not this last season, but the one before where they based it all kind of in a mall and did their very best. And they did an admirable job of recreating the feeling of an 80s mall. It was artificial and it was it was reproduced. When the doctor alerted me, hey, you see, there's a movie called Fan of the Mall on Shudder. I was like, oh, I've, I remember hearing that movie, but I've never seen it. He's the one that lit the fuse for us to, for me to check it out. And then I'm like, oh, we're 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 doing a show on this. This is this is not a reproduction. This is a snapshot, and it's a pretty fucking picture perfect snapshot of what oh, I yeah, rem- of what I remember the heyday of malls being like. Yes, well, this yeah. is the Sherman Oaks Galleria, as as Yax pointed out. Uh, this is the Mall of Malls. I think it opened like in 1980. Uh, so Sherman Oaks is a suburb of Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley. It's like the ultimate suburb. Uh, and so Fast Times at Ridgemont High was uh, shot in the mall. Commando. Uh, Valley Girl was shot in it. Uh, Commando obviously was shot in it. You, if, uh, the elevators are kind of a dead giveaway. Um, and there, there's a couple of other flicks that were actually used the mall as location. It was like really one of the big early malls that, of the 80s and early 90s. But it, but it was a great, uh, you know, we, we grew up in a small town in Central Texas with, a, with a, a smaller mall, but it had a lot of the stores that are in this movie. And then when we wanted to get fancy, we would drive this short drive down the highway to Austin to the Highland mall, which was, that was the two story mall. That, that was big time. And I mean, doctor, you and I went down there a lot, uh, you know, towards the end of high school together when we're driving, we drive down there in college, we drive down to Highland mall. And I mean, I don't think kids today can appreciate it was the mall was basically our version of Amazon. It had everything you could want. If you couldn't find it at a good mall, it didn't exist. And, and for like, I, I don't know how it was like in bigger cities, but I know in smaller cities, especially in Lufkin, that's where everybody was. I mean, when everybody you, went to the mall on the weekends. And, when, and before before they the police came in and stopped it all down for years there was a drag to where you would drive around the mall down the main street around Sonic and you would just make this entire loop around the mall. So anybody that was 16 plus was outside the mall. Anybody 16 under was inside the mall. It was just where all the kids were. Harv Posner makes a good point here when he tells them no more wondering where your kids are on a Saturday night growing up. If I wasn't at the mall, I was at the movie theater. If I wasn't at the movie theater, I was at the mall. They were that was where the action was. And I as we go through the movie, I'm gonna mention some of the 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 shops in the mall because they were shops that we went to. And it just 
I don't know. Just watching this movie just just made me really happy to 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 be back in that world again. Um, kind of did too, yeah. Uh, well, May, Mayor Wilton, Morgan Fairchild, who, by the way, I told Doctor I watched a movie with her, uh, Bikini Model Academy, for show purposes. I was researching for research. Summer, oh, of course. Episode. This this is a movie that came out. I don't know, maybe 2015 or so. She still looks stunning. Like this woman has she it to me it seems she's she bucked the Hollywood trend of getting a ton of surgery and uh, she's been augmented. Most likely so, but definitely. She still looks dude, she's gotta be like in her late 70s at this point. She still looks great. So in this movie, she would have been about 38, 39. Oh, way to make me feel old, you bastard. I just did. What, what, what are you asking me for? I can't change the clock. You just said she was I don't want to be gorgeous. older. I don't want to be the old, older than the mayor in a movie. Those are adults. Those are older people. I don't want to be older than them. Well, anywho... She announces that she's kept her campaign promise to put Midwood on the map with this glorious new mall and emphasizes her accomplishment. You see that? She did a little Nazi salute to the to the crowd. I missed that. Yeah. She's like, and this this town is going to help our future generations for years to come. I thought that was a it's just a mall, folks. Let's not go too crazy here. Hart Posner takes the mic back over. I just want to say the Sig Heil was a joke. It was not a in-secret message to anybody. Correct. Nazis are bad. TNCC right. is against Nazis. Correct. I heard, I heard Tut buys his jeans at Himmler's Outpost. <laughs> that is... I've made a mistake one time, <laughs> damn it. Hey, Tut. I was looking I, for the big and tall section. Tut, that was an AOK PSA you just did there. Thank you. Oh, God, I just did the white supremacy single. If you're looking for Tut, he'll be buying CDs at Sam Gestapo. <laughs> uh, Harf Posner takes the mic back over and reminds everyone that they're invited to the upcoming Mall Investors 4th of July ceremony. He didn't put a lot of oh, thought. Yeah. He didn't put a lot of thought into that name. Uh, doesn't really roll off the tongue very well. Hey, you guys going to the mall investors 4th of July ceremony? Well, can we go for not investors? No, no, actually, I think you, you, anybody could have got in here. We can tell by his aggressive huffing that whoever's watching the press conference from up above in the mall's air vents isn't very happy. <sighs> in fact, the figure makes his way from the vents down to the mall's sewer system where he chisels half of the stolen mannequin's face off to construct a mask, a half mask, if you will, Phantom of the Opera style. Uh, Doctor, who played played the Phantom of the Opera on screen in the original? Do you remember? Uh, Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney Sr. Same guy who played the Wolfman? Uh, No, that was his son, Lon Chaney Jr., Okay, there you go. Uh, it was originally a silent film in the 1920s. 
since remade, uh, use one of our favorite terms, remade ad nauseum. Yeah, I actually saw the uh, Dwight H. Little, the director of How Our Beloved Halloween Four. He did a version in the '80s with Robert England, Freddy Krueger as the Phantom. Uh, oh, I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I want to say maybe Dario Argento made one too. I'm not sure. Well, there was uh, one be- that was done about uh, ten years ago, maybe. They, yeah, they they milk these these things for all they're worth, and it sounds like probably because Doctor, you said the book came out when? Uh, early 1900s. So it's probably public. It's probably public domain. Anybody and their sister can make a fan of the opera, or whatever, if they want yeah. to. Yeah, the Lon Chaney movies, like it, like I said, it was a silent picture, like 19 mid mid to late 20s. Okay, I was about to say you can make that movie, but if that soundtrack sounds anything like Weber. You're going to have some lawyers calling you. He's still around, isn't he, Andrew Lloyd Webber? Yeah, yeah. He just like wrote some other BS thing here like this month. <laughs> I think you might have a lawsuit coming. I probably do. <laughs> Elsewhere in the mall, cute teenage blonde Melody is getting some good news at the all-new Sleuth's Bar and Grill. Every mall had a, a restaurant slash bar. El Chico's. There's is sluice. Casa our, Ole. Our, our little mall in our hometown, it only has like three things left in it, and one is El Chico. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if somehow you could still smoke in there. Uh, <laughs> they, had a, just, they had a Fuddruckers back in the day. We did have mm. a Fuddruckers back in the day. Uh, she just got hired. Melody just got hired as a waitress at Sluice Barn Grill. She's very All excited. Right. Good job, Mary. And over, and over at Windsor Fashions, there's a long line of hot babes interviewing for sales jobs. But Melody's best friend Susie nailed her big interview as well. They both got jobs. Yeah. The two gals make their way over to the Chill Factor ice cream parlor located next to the Orange Julius, where their buddy Polly Shore is serving up some scoops. Hey, yeah. buddy. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Yeah, get a little scoopage. That's right. He's the yogurt. That's right, folks. The weasel himself, Polly Shore, is in this thing, playing the character of Buzz. Y'all remember Polly Shore? He was a big deal for a couple of years. Yeah. That's Bye. right, buddy. Gonna numb on some weasage. Chilling with the weasel. Dude, he actually became somewhat of a movie star. Uh Biodome in the army now. Oh, son-in-law was huge. Uh, I think that was probably his biggest one, but Encino uh, Man. Encino Man, yeah. It was pretty much one every year from the early to mid nineties. It was one. Yeah, this is Jury Duty. Oh, jury. yeah, that was Jury Duty. I forgot about that one. I think this is the first one that I've. Uh, it's funny. It's the first one that I saw him in. No, I think this is like the first, the earliest that I saw of him. Oh no! Even, I, though I, even though I just saw this last, he would only have been week. twenty years old right here. Yeah, no, Dad. Dad yeah, think, is this his first one? Yeah, well, this is definitely before his MTV stuff. That's where he kind of became blew up with the Weasel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is. I, I I didn't look at his IMDb page, but I think this is probably his very very first. Um, his mom. Yeah, because he wasn't full. He wasn't full Weasel here. No, he. But he. You can see the 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 germs of the Weasel. Growing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, his mom, uh, Mitzi Shore, 
uh, founded one of the first huge comedy clubs in LA. Uh, it's here, Laugh Stop. Is that right, Doctor? Laugh Stop. Oh, comedy or, store. Or the comedy store. Um, oh, wow. I didn't know that was Polly Shore's mom. Yeah. So she, he grew up around all these great comics. And then I want to say now, after she passed, that he he's kind of running that and he's gone back to stand up over the last few years. But, uh, but anywho, yeah, Polly Shore's in this thing. He's a prankster, so he puts a fake severed ear in Susie's vanilla yogurt. Classic buzz. But she's hardly amused. Just then, Mayor Wilton, accompanied by a local news reporter and photographer, walk over. And when she hears the news that these two young ladies just got hired at the mall, she suggests to the, the photog that he snap a picture of them all together for the newspaper. Young people, jobs created. We need a picture of this. I'm, I'm sorry, dude. It's like the opening of like a new Yankee stadium. It's a fucking mall. They've got all these reporters around. Hey, all right over here. These two just got jobs. They're all snapping pictures. It's a, it's a fucking mall. Look at this. Beautiful people. The lots ph- of jobs. The photographer. points of light. The photographer is famed Rolling Stone photographer Annie Leibovitz. She was brought in to commemorate the... Thanks, um, doctor, who is the dashing actor behind the ca- or in behind his camera, in front of our camera, uh, portraying the photographer character of Peter Baldwin? Well, it was too young at the time to be me, so it turned out to be none other than Rob Estes, uh, who I believe was a uh, which did Silk Stockings precede Silk Stockings? Netflix? Yes, it preceded it, I believe. So that, that that he started on silk stockings, then it, then he became a uh, '90s uh, icon on Melrose Place, which rivaled the initial 90210 for a while. Then he was right. on the 90210 reboot back in. He the actually, day. yeah, he actually appeared in the the 90210 remake. Um, yeah, I imagine scores of Lifetime movies, but I, I don't know that. Oh, sure. I I I actually looked at looked at his IMDb because I thought he was somebody different, and then when I looked at his IMDb page. If there was a TV series in that time, he was in it. He was in all of them. I mean, the Melrose Place, 90210. I mean, he was just like NCIS, all all the stuff, he was in it. Oh, and by the way, if I'm really, really laying low at the sleazy hotels and you're trying to find me, try looking in the hotel ledger for Rob Testes. Kate, I think if you get to a point where you're really, really laying low in the sleazy hotels, we're not going to be looking for you. <laughs> Hurtful, but not surprising. Well, it's because I'm probably going to be in jail. They're probably going to have me for something. And more than likely, whatever I did, you you guys had some kind of part in it. Uh, that F-plus is going to come back to haunt you. Oh, God. I'm feeling the heat. Um can I change my Zoom name to Rob Testes? Does anybody does anybody have an issue with that? Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Rob. Do what you need to do, man. I was gonna change it to uh Harv Posner, but I don't think I've earned that. I don't think I've earned that yet. As Mayor Wilton leads the reporter off to show him something downstairs, you know. Peter Baldwin introduces himself to Melody. He explains he remembers taking her photo last year, the night of a house fire in which her boyfriend, Eric, was burned alive. The house just happened to be on this very piece of land where the Midwood Mall now stands. That's interesting. 
He also remembers her telling the police she saw a man that night with a religious symbol dangling earring who she claims murdered Eric, but no one would listen to her. He tells Melody that he found all of this very suspicious, and she agrees. Yes, I found this suspicious too. He tells Melody, (laughs) uh, well, I was listening to you, and I'm on your side, and she says she appreciates that. Uh, she's still not really over Eric's death and no one listening to her about that night helped any. She opens up her mall locker. Our small town didn't have them, but the big city malls had the lockers. Uh, And there's a beautiful bouquet of orchids in there. Orchids are her favorite. And we then cut to a flashback of Eric giving her some orchids back before he was burned to a crisp. Oh, and speaking of Eric, we see him now lurking around the air vents with half his face covered by the modified mannequin mask. He, Eric, is the phantom of the mall. Am I right, boys? That's correct. Yeah. I, put that to, I put that together all on my own. And speaking of malls, like Doctor said, they couldn't have picked a better one. This thing's been in Commando, Fast Time in Ridgemont High, Valley Girl. It's, this might be the perfect mall. It is the perfect mall. I mean, clearly right next to... Miller's Outpost, you can see the shop where Bennett buys his chainmail vest. It's what's wonderful. <laughs> what, Hot Topic? They had it back then? No, they didn't have Hot Topic. What was the leather store, Yaks, where they sold leather stuff? Uh, oh, shit. <laughs> they actually still have them in some outlet malls I've been to, that leather. If it, You walk in there, man. Oh, my God. It smells like leather. It's like it's, bright leather. <laughs> Excuse me. Where do you keep the bright le- right over this way, sir? Can we help you, sir? I'm looking for a new wallet. We have three million of them. Okay. Turns out sleazy Harv Posner has even an even sleazier son, Justin. Oh, God. Played by Tom Fridley of Friday the 13th Part 6 fame. And... Get this, he's also John Travolta's nephew, I believe. Doctor, am I right? Oh, that makes, makes way more sense. I think so, yes. Well, I will say he did a great job. Great oh, job he did great in this. He was great as Court in Friday Part Six. I, I would love to see more of this dude. He he was he was awesome in this. He 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 plays 80s sleaze. Not as good as Harv Posner, but really, really good. Uh, Justin wants the keys to dad's car, but Harv isn't giving the keys to his son as that little punk has already wrecked two cars this month. Justin grabs his father's pocket square out of his blazer and slaps the old man across the chest with it, telling him, I'll just take mom's car instead. You little prick, Harv mumbles, before quickly putting on a big smile Whoever for whoever might have been watching that little exchange. Dude grabs the dad's pocket square and just slaps him with it. God. Harv hears a commotion from a ventilation duct up above his head and he shrugs it off, which he shouldn't have because it was Eric shoving some poor AC technician's face into a spinning air fan until the unlucky bastard had no face left. All right, now, now. real quick, I want to be sympathetic. Real quick, Todd, I know we want to be sympathetic to Eric and what he's been through, and we'll get to what he's been through in a little bit. But right now, the score is Eric 2, innocent mall employees just doing their jobs, zero. He's killed <laughs> exactly. two. 
completely exactly. innocent law employees. And as it's you, all about my revenge on people who had nothing to do with me. As we learn more about Eric, we want to sympathize with him, but he, he's off to a rocky start here. But actually, the original Phantom was like that as well. He killed people that worked in the opera house that, you know, there wasn't any rhyme or reason. It, there wasn't a Phantom of the Opera's revenge type of thing. Uh, he was just a, he was a, uh, I mean, he was just a fucking crazy dude. Okay. Well, maybe that tracks them. We'll, we'll find out, I suppose. Uh, you know who else is clueless to Eric's revenge? Our friends at Drew Estate? No. Not, no. Oh, wait. Was that the wrong time? Good on you, Ted, but no, no, wrong, wrong. Okay. I'll, all right. I'll hold I'll file that back. I'll file I, that back. I was looking for the security guards who are watching the security cameras in their office. While Ken fucking Forhe of Dawn of the Dead and Death Spa fame seems to somewhat take his security job seriously, his partner is only concerned about watching video footage of the women's dressing room over at Windsor Fashions. He's watching all these naked chicks strip down because for some reason, none of them close the curtains on their dressing rooms. They just, they're getting all naked together and giggling and stuff, which is a huge invasion of privacy. But it's also, it's also fucking awesome because we get to see a lot of eighties boobs in the scene. Nice. Yeah. I'm all about the eighties boobs. So it's bad, but it's good. Okay, so you three would know this more than I do because your your movie repartee is just expansive. Has there ever been a movie with Ken yes. Forte and for, David for Keith? Ken for Forte. Has there ever been a movie with him and David Keith? Keith David? No. Although I want that There's to happen. That would... I that would the, pre- that that is to preserve our version of the multiverse because the moment that happens, we go to singularity. No, I don't think it has. Um, I was trying to. I think, love that dude. He chews up every scene he's in in this movie, and so damn likable. And I was like, you put him with the other guy, and I would just be like, holy shit, that is powerful. The, the brilliance of Dawn of the Dead, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, the only Dawn of the Dead that matters, is you see such an ugly side of humanity with the zombie invasion. Uh, even in the heroes from Flyboy um, and, and Raj, uh, one, of the, one of the police officers, there's, there's four main characters, Ken Foray being one of them. But between the bikers and the... There's there's such a, a spotlight on how ugly man turns on itself and all that. Ken Foray is really the 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 shining light that like why are we even trying to preserve humanity at this point? Like what's good about it? He's he's such a good guy who puts his life in harm's way to help others, who isn't just completely self-absorbed and thinking about himself. He was so brilliantly cast by Romero in Dawn of the Dead. He's one of the ultimate horror movie protagonists. I mean, most people, including myself, or a lot of people, including myself, consider Dawn of the Dead the best zombie movie of all time. And he's a big part of that. 
And I think if maybe you cast that different, uh, because Doctor, who was the the lead, the African American lead in Night of the Living Dead? Sidney Poitier. Doctor. In in the original, the yeah. sixty-eight film. Yeah. What was his name? Oh Christ. Uh, Dwayne. Uh... Yeah, Dwayne. Something. He was great, and he was exactly what Night of the Living Dead needed. Kind of a stoic. Oh, now you got me. All right. a, he was a stoic uh, hero, but what Dawn of the Dead brought to the table with Ken Foray was this guy had a lot more charm and a lot more uh, sensitivity and a lot more of everything. Like he just, I can't. It's like Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. I can't picture anybody else. But Jamie Lee Curtis in the original Halloween, I can't picture anybody but Ken Foray in Dawn of the Dead. That's how great he was in it. Um, so yada, yada, yada. It's always awesome to see him pop up in these flicks. I'm such a fan, and I'd never even seen this flick. So that's that tells you something. Dwayne uh, Thomas was the running back for the Cowboys. Dwayne Jones? Johnson? Dwayne Eddie was the rockabilly guy from the 50s. Wait, Dwayne Johnson, that's the rock. Dwayne Johnson's the rock. Dwayne John- this, this, was a, this was a D-U-A-N-E, Dwayne. Oh, man, I'm going to have to look it Dwayne up. Dwayne Wayne yeah, hey. is from a different world. Dwayne, it was Dwayne Jones. I looked it up. It was Dwayne Jones. Okay, that that, that sounds – that makes sense. Uh, that's you, uh, the reason why we had I couldn't think of it because it's a common name. Well, anyway, uh, for Ken Foray, uh, and I'm not I'm not even going to give him a character name. I'm just going to call him Ken Foray in the in the entire thing. Uh, he wants to do his job. His partner just wants to look at boobs. So Foray orders his chunky, perverted uh, coworker to go investigate the noises that Harv Prosner reported hearing up in the air ducts. Uh, that probably won't go well, I imagine. After we've seen what happened to the other employees doing stuff, uh, especially when Eric witnesses as the guy's going to investigate, Eric's watching everything on these monitors in his hideout. And as the as the security guards walking past Melody and Susie, he pulls on his chain of keys like, hey, girls, you want to help me pull my chain? And we see Eric clenching his fists. Not cool. I could. Tut, were you you're pointing to your beer? Oh, Some, Mincy was saying that Mincy was saying that he couldn't remember, and I was saying this is why the beer's why. Oh yeah, that, well, that yeah, yeah, yeah. things. Of course, of course. There was nothing that I was trying to say about my beer. And sure enough, boys, a few minutes later, Eric crushes the security guard, the pervert, with a forklift up against an electrical box, which fries the dude so bad. His eyeballs pop out, and one of them lands in a box of vanilla uh, frozen yogurt mix for the Chill Factor ice cream parlor. Polly Shore, Buzz, I guess, probably shouldn't have left that box open, but a hey, weasel's going to do weasel things, you know? Well, you know, as professional as the weasel probably is, surely he'll catch it, you know. And I'm not going to lie, this is, this, uh, this is one of those scenes in the movie where I literally... I'm like, oh, okay, something's happening. And when the eyes popped out, it was like, yeah, I couldn't help but laugh. I mean, <laughs> terrible, but I'm just like, this, 
you weren't expecting. It was terrible, but I, I mean, applauded. I thought his, I I, actually, I mean, I thought like he was going to like burn up or his head was going to explode. I didn't expect his eyes to shoot out. Yeah, that was nice. That was nice. <laughs> uh, real, real quick, speaking of surprises, uh, I'm about the halfway point in the cigar, and I have gotten uh, through the retrohale, through the nose, uh, the, the pepper is very nominal now, almost not noticeable. I'm yep. getting a really nice leather note and some mineral develop on that retrohale, which just over the last half inch or so has kind of started to build. And that's been an awesome transition because that leather and mineral is going really well with the cedar um, and the, and the toast on the drawer. Are you guys getting that at all? The mineral for me has been prevalent just on, on the normal draw, but leather, I mean, is kind of subdued for myself. Okay. I, I, it's definitely coming through with me on the, through the nose. Tut? Yeah, I'm getting an introduction of the leather. I'm not quite on the, <coughs> cedar, I'm not, I'm not quite on the mineral on the retro hill, but I'm definitely getting an introduction of the leather on the on the retro. And you're right, the pepper is dialed way back. Um, agreed. It's 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 you really got to search for it at this point. Shortly after the ceremony in the mall, Mayor Wilton stops by his office to congratulate Harv Posner, and I'm going to refer to him as his full name because I love saying Harv Posner as much as possible on his successful mall opening and inform him there's some rumblings about him possibly being awarded a spot on the Midwood City Council. That's a big deal. Ooh, that's a big deal. Oh, and on her way out, she also asked him to get his shithead son Justin under control as a lot of the female employees of the mall after one day have already complained a lot about him, doctor style. He said he was going to show him the glory hammer. Uh, once she's gone... Harf sits down just as the dead security guard comes crashing down from an air vent, landing right on top of his desk. That can't be good for business. Harf picks up the phone and tells whoever's on the other line, I'm going to maybe be requiring your services again. See what that's all about. Darkness has crept in as Melody and Susie exit the mall. Suze is giving Melody a good razzing about the cute photographer Peter Baldwin, who's clearly into her, he could ask me probing questions anytime. She, doctor, she means probing her with his penis. Am I right? I, I think so. And if I were you, I would check into a hotel under the name Peter Baldwin. That's on my list too. Basically, if I go missing, just write down all the character names from Phantom of the Mall and start there. <laughs> uh, but Melody just laughs. But not Eric. He's not. He's not doing Eric. And if I do check in under Eric, I'll spell it with a K at the end, not this weak sauce E R I C. Well, Tut, we certainly know not to look for K under the name Anastasia Dragon Force or whatever the hell it was. God, <laughs> God no, uh, folks. For you that that Jack uh, Glory Hammer, maybe, folks. If this makes no sense to you, over the break. Uh, Tut has discovered this new love for fantasy metal. Um, Flash symphonic metal. The less said about that, the better. If you, if you want to see real fantasy metal, watch our rock and roll nightmare episode where Thor, uh, Thor Mickle, what was his name? Uh, Thor Mickle something or Mickelson. other. No, it was Thor Mickle something. Uh, John Michael Thor. John Michael Thor. 
John Micklethor, he did it better than any of these freaks that uh, Tut's into. But anyway, uh, they split up in the parking lot. And once Melody gets in her car, she notices a gift-wrapped box lying on the passenger seat. In it is a purple dress that she was admiring in one of the stores earlier, but she told Suze she couldn't afford it because she's saving money for college. That's weird, right? Now that dress is in her car? She goes to leave, but her car won't start. Question, because I'm not a car guy. Does rocking back and forth in your seat ever get the, the motor to turn over? Yes. Yes, it does. Because it's like the, the car will turn over. So you grab the wheel and you just start rocking. Like, does that work? Does that ever work? Well, you got to time and it right. Because it's like, boom. Well, Melody gets out to look under the hood as if she'd know how to fix whatever is the problem. That's that was sexist. Dude, that's sexist as fuck. That was really sexist as fuck. I'm sorry. She just didn't appear to the kind that would know. Sorry, right, sorry. Right. I, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I think the fact that I acknowledged that it was a sexist remark, I'm in the clear. It's the first step. It is. Uh, I mean, there's many more steps to go, and you only took one, but it's fine. It's fine. Well, I'm going to work on myself in the upcoming weeks. And by that, I mean, I'm not going to do anything whatsoever to change my behavior or my mindset. Uh, well, as she's looking under that hood cluelessly, uh, the phantom, a masked man attacks her from behind. They wrestle until Eric, the phantom of the mall himself, appears on the mall's rooftop with that stolen crossbow and shoots an arrow into the would-be rapist's shoulder. Holy shit. Pretty long distance, too. Finally, shot. Hey, this is important. Finally, he kills someone that actually deserves it. Yeah. He's just been someone killing. actually committing a crime. He's just been killing. Not working. just doing their job. He's been killing working men doing their jobs. He actually killed a bad guy for once. Way to go, Eric. As the wounded assailant runs away, Mayor Wilton happens to be driving by, and she gives the traumatized Melody a ride home, promising her that she'll look into the attack and report it to the police pronto. As we see Peter Baldwin at home scouring through his old reporter files on the house fire that took Eric's life, we cut back to the mall where a slick-haired, sunglasses-wearing, he's wearing sunglasses at night, so you know he's a bad guy, tough guy named Volker is burning the dead security guard's body in a box. Tut's wearing his sunglasses at night. What the fuck's going on around here? Dude, you know... By the look of this dude, that when Harv Posner called him, I'm going to need your service again. Oh, I got to burn some bodies. That's what this guy does. He is Harv Posner's go-to guy for taking care of his messes. Tut, did you recognize him? No. Oh, Jesus. Some things never change. Well... I recognized him immediately. I did too. Way back on episode 139, less than 20 episodes ago, he was the lead actor in a movie we did called Action USA. He was the Martin Riggs, the cop. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Oh my God. (laughs) Did you get him, X? Yes. Okay. Gregory, uh, the minute I, I, you know, they did that whole close up, like he answers the phone with all you see is the sunglasses. But then I'm like, they, they pan back a little, like, it's him. 
Gregory <laughs> Scott Cummins is his name, and he played the renegade cop hero in Action USA, which you need to watch that movie if you haven't watched it, folks, but you definitely just probably should just watch episode 139 of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club because it's it's probably way more entertaining. And uh, looked the same 20 years later when he played Mac's father on It's, it's Always Sony in Philadelphia. Oh, that's right. He played the sleazeball uh, yeah. father of of Mac on Sunny in Philly. Uh, well, we then cut to a flashback of Melody and Eric making love in his bedroom. As gentle piano music plays, uh, they, the two of them, accompanied by a spectacular set of stunt boobs, tenderly kiss on each other and then thrust their fiery loins together in unison. Hands where I can see them, boys. Let me see those hands. Uh, no dice. No dice from Tut and Doctor. Uh, well, I mean, the, the stump boobs were very, they were very high quality. Well, well here's the telltale sign. But the they, scene, they never the show between these two. They never show Melody's face in the same scene as the stunt boobs. So that's your first inclination that they're using stunt boobs. Um, I thought it was a nice. Scene tut no I did I didn't feel the heat I I just didn't feel the heat Well there's going to be a lot of heat in their next sex scene so stay tuned Do stunt boobs usually get a credit in a motion pictures like total credits like you know between like key grip and dolly grip and Yeah it'll stunt boobs stunt boobs It's usually in the credits it'll say the twins and then it'll best boobs okay best boobs boobs right after the best boy Yeah. Uh, boobs. Well, during her flashback, Melody begins seeing glimpses of Volk, the evil Volker, and that unique dangling earring of his pouring gas all over the room and sparking a huge house fire with a match. That's his go-to movie, Burn Shit. Volker is a pretty good villain name. Oh, it's a great, it's a really good uh, villain name. She wakes up in her own bedroom, screaming, perhaps from the brutal memory of the fire that took Eric away from her, or perhaps because she woke up and looked down and she no love, no longer possessed those giant luscious stunt boobs. I guess we'll never, we'll never know. We'll never know. The next day at the Midwood mall, while Eric goes round after round with a punching bag down in his sewer hideaway before practicing some sweet martial arts moves, Oh, he's oh, got it's the, the, it's, it's the, the 80s. Everybody has to have all the bow staff. I almost, I almost sent you a text on that. I was like, the thing I miss most about 80s action is the fucking bow staff. It was almost like you had to have a scene of a bow staff to be a legit 80s action movie. Man, he's whipping that bow staff around. Uh, man, he's, he's, he's getting ready for whatever's to come. Security guard Ken Foray is updating Harv Posner on all the various items that have been reported stolen from the mall. One Nautilus exercise machine, one crossbow, three pillows, one mannequin's head, a VCR, two video cameras, one tape recorder. Tell me if I'm wrong. It sounds like an inventory of the doctor's old college dorm room back at Poughkeepsie State. Doc, am I right? Oh, sir, I never would have stolen anything as pedestrian as a Nautilus machine. <laughs> Is that where you got your nickname, the Phantom of the Balls? 
Is he the Phantom of the Balls? Folks are bound to ask. Is there a Phantom of the Balls? Or just some retard playing with his ass? <laughs> to be to be fair, see, it was the it's the Northeast. They have a lot of balls there. You know, you, not not those kind of balls, but the balls where you dance at. And I want to apologize, Doctor, for standing outside your dorm room with an acoustic guitar playing that Phantom of the Balls song every night. That couldn't have been good for your dating life. I'm sorry. Actually, it augmented it. Oh, did it? Okay, good. Poughkeepsie is a weird place, man. Uh, the pits, some would say. Oh, and there's the fact that two security guards he mentions have gone completely missing in the one day, 24 hours since they opened. But Harv Posner just blows it off. Oh, I fired those guys. Don't worry about it. They probably got other jobs. Yeah, they got other jobs. <laughs> he's, he's working down at a hot dog on a stick. He's fine. Well, in the 80s, there would have been very little in the way of any sort of paper trail. You would have gone, you would have gone with that in a way that you just wouldn't. Do yeah, you couldn't, you yeah. couldn't get on LinkedIn or Facebook and, and see where these guys were doing. Oh, and across the mall, Harv's dickbag son, Justin, is prying open pinball machines in the arcade and stealing all the tokens. When Justin runs into his dad shortly after, before Harv Posner can say anything, Justin shakes up a soda and squirts it all over his fucking face. Jesus Christ. Oh, remember all those stolen items that were just listed off? Well, back down in the sewer, we find them all as Eric watches Melody on multiple video cameras he has set up as he listens to a cassette tape of he and Melody's favorite song on repeat. Hearts of Darkness by Stan Bush. Hearts of Darkness. While he does lap pull downs. That's not how that song goes at all, Ted. (laughs) Running up that hill. Oh, that's Kate Bush. That's Kate Bush. Running up the hill. Hearts of Darkness. Uh, Eric is breathing heavily (sighs) as he works the VCR. Lap pull downs, man. No, he's no, he's sitting there watching the VCRs. Uh, and he's he pauses it on melody and he's just grunting his ass off and you can't tell if that's a you know a result of him wearing that constrictive phantom mask or if he's whacking off to images of his ex-girlfriend again I guess we'll never know right doctor Austin from working out of that damn Nautilus machine that had to be a bitch to steal from the sporting goods store well, and take down. Nautilus is a total body workout. It's the best you can get. Yeah, but the, the thing I love is that the mall that sewer, been, man. The thing what I love is like that so the mall the mall sewers are so big you can fit a Nautilus machine through it. To That's get what I'm this, saying. This layer. is through the air vents. Through the Their air vents. Can have a 1982 Toyota go through it. It's the best. Only the best for this mall. Hey, we're going to need a lot of air in this mall. It's going to be a lot of people that want to breathe. We should be what I love more than anything is you see them clearly in a seven by seven tunnel. And then when they get to the actual vent going into the mall, it's about a 20 by 20. That's true. Meanwhile, Buzz has left his station at the Chill Factor ice cream parlor to track down super sleuth reporter Peter Baldwin and have him follow him for the story of the century. 
Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Got a little story for you. They sneak up in the mall's security office where Buzz starts playing Peter some Muzak. Not music. Muzak. The same Muzak that's pumped out of the speakers throughout the mall. Peter Baldwin's not impressed. As Buzz dances to the music, which I'm starting to think that like 50% of David Spade's shtick on Saturday Night Live was spoofing Polly Shore because David Spade did a lot of, hey, buddy. Boop, 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 boop. Like he did a lot of that Polly Shore kind of stuff. Oh, that's a good observation. Uh, now, granted, I'm a huge Spade fan, so I think he, 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 he didn't steal that and live on it. He moved on and did his own stuff, but a lot of, uh, a lot of Polly Shore-isms there with Spade. Um, well, as Buzz dances to the music in his seat, doing all sorts of Polly Shore shtick, he can tell Peter isn't impressed and he's ready to bail. So Buzz clicks a button on the soundboard, which reveals subliminal messages that are playing underneath the music, such as, it's a very soft feminine voice, the sales clerks are my friends. I can buy anything I want on credit. Shopping is fun. I like shopping. Turns out Harv Posner is brainwashing the folks of Midwood to spend money at his mall. And surprisingly, Peter Baldwin doesn't see a story here at all. Harv Posner is attractive. It's deceptive. Harv Posner's hair is incredible. Harv Posner. <laughs> Harv Posner has a giant donkey dick. Um, it's deceptive yes Peter Baldwin says but illegal not so much still though I know it's not covering the battlefields in the Ukraine but this is a story if you're in a small town and you learn that the mall is pumping out subliminal messages there's a story there biggest thing to ever hit Millwood and they're brainwashing your kids well nevertheless Peter glances uh, he's doesn't see anything to report here. But he, he glances at a security monitor and notices the earring wearing Volker, now dressed in a secu- security guard uniform, patrolling the Sam Goody record store on the third floor. And he sprints out of the security office in hot pursuit of a real story. You son of a... That's 157 episodes I've used the term hot pursuit. Racing past Miller's Outpost, which I believe uh, Yaks mentioned earlier. Man, did I buy a lot of clothes at Miller's Outpost? Uh, if everything in there, you know, I still remember the denim jeans, the Levi's, the denim jacket, the denim vest, the, shirt, the denim socks, denim denim ba- denim bathrobes. If, if it was made of denim, Miller's Outpost had it. And I if bought. If you it. thought of something that was. Could be made of denim that they didn't have. They'd make it. Or they'd tell you to shut up and get the hell out of there. You know, that too. That's what happened to me. Well, Peter Peter Baldwin composes himself as he walks into Sam Goody, camera in hand. How what how cool was it to see all the CD long boxes on the shelf? Oh man, that don't, was, get, yeah. don't get me started. As Peter does a hand as no, as Peter as Peter Baldwin does a horrible job of casually browsing music, trying to get closer to Volker, 
Dude, he's just like flipping through. I mean, well, it, maybe it doesn't help the fact that he's got this giant fucking camera like off to the side of his. Like, I'm not taking pictures. I'm perusing the CDs. What was well, ra- browsing? Rather than just take a clear photo of Volker and run, Peter snaps a pic from down at his waist up at a reflective mirror on the ceiling. Also, the fact that he has like a 10 inch lens on this camera, he could literally have taken it outside of the store, yeah. through the window, possibly <laughs> through a wall because it's got some sort of thermal imaging. Well, this, this mirror on the ceiling has a very blurry Volker image in the reflection. And so he snaps a pic of it and then runs away with Volker again in hot pursuit. But do you think Volker, really, the only thing he was angry about was that the image caught him holding up a Loggins and Messina CD, and that was going to ruin his street creds? It's like, I got to hey, get them. Get back here. Get back here. <laughs> Nobody can ever know about my love of Loggins. All right, Messina. Oh, <laughs> worse. Volker's a Messina fan. So if this gets out that I was buying a Dan Vogelberg CD, my street credibility is toast. I got to get that guy. Well, clearly, Peter Baldwin never saw Action USA, or he would never dream about actioning Volker. So here we are. The men race through the mall. At one point, Volker kicks over a baby stroller to the terror of the screaming mother. I'm sure Harv Posner will make that all go away with the presentation of some generous gift certificates to Sluice Bar and Grill. He kicked over my baby. Here, here you go, baby. Here's some uh, Sluice <laughs> gift certificates. Peter here's, your, find- here's some gift certificates to the Great American Cookie Factory. It'll be all right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Get some double and look, double doozies. Look, Posner, we're going to completely give your baby a lifetime supply of denim diapers from Miller Outpost. It'll <laughs> be great. Look, Posner, you knocked over my kid. I'm going to need some Kenny Shoes gift certificates while you're at it. <laughs> Don't be giving me those B. Dalton gift certificates. (laughs) No, no, no. Oh, I'd pray for a B. Dalton gift certificate. Make it Walden's. Make it Walden's. Uh, Peter finds safety in a glass elevator. He gets in right before the doors close and Volker can't get him. Or so he thinks, as he's going down the elevator, Volker sticks his head down from the top of the elevator and growls at him. My favorite part was the girl. Yep. Nothing to see here, folks, as Harry, as Harv Posner hands out coupons to the casual corner. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Um, Here's the corndog seven gift certificates we're getting to. Now, obviously, Harv Posner isn't doing that, but it is odd that nobody is treating this mall chase like that big a deal, especially when Volker, when... Uh, Peter Baldwin runs out of the elevator. This dude, this poor dude just doing some shopping, gets in his way, and Volker punches him with his billy club and almost knocks him off the third-story balcony. Well, nobody, you know, nobody bats an eye. This, this mall is so new to everybody. Nobody knows the mall etiquette. Maybe this is – everyone's thinking to themselves, maybe this is what happens in a mall. Well, here, I, well, it's I don't like want to see one cooth. In, in Jaws 2. Last week, Quaid, I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger rip the elevator off. Oh, dude, this that is that would very- actually have been the best thing in this is if you see them running by, but then you see some dudes swinging by on a little balloon thing. Like, no, I'm with Tut. The only thing that would have made this chasing better is Volker is chasing Peter Baldwin, and chasing Volker is Dennis Quaid in the golf cart from Jaws 3. 
<laughs> get away! Get out of the way! <laughs> that would that would be phenomenal. It, what would have actually would have been is if you see Volker push the guy out of the way, he gets back up. Sully runs by and pushes him out of the way as he runs the other way. <laughs> like this is too intense. I'll I'll regroup at Wicks and Sticks. Does it also is it maybe perhaps possible that Sleuths is the place for hunting slash? Is that what we're yes. talking about here? Yes. I think it was. Sleuths Barn Grill was the primo spot for hunting slash back in the day. Sleuths used to be a good place for hunting slash. But I found me something though. <laughs> That's a commando reference to it. Oh, I know what it is. Oh, okay. I think maybe Ken well, hey. You know, partner was the guy that was over there by the thing when he sees him. He's like, he's one gigantic motherfucker. <laughs> well, dude, Volker, because he can't chase Peter Baldwin and catch him, he tries a new tactic. As Peter Baldwin's catching his breath at the top of the stairs, Volker leans over the balcony above him and just yells, hey, which makes Peter Baldwin fall and tumble down an entire flight of stairs. Dude, just yell at him. That's... The power of sound. That that's one giant motherfucker. That was Ken. That's Ken Forey. That was him four years ago. That's who he is now. <laughs> well, Volker's yelling "Hey!" causes the reporter to tumble down an entire flight of stairs, where he happens to land just feet away from Mayor Wilton. Volker realizes the chase is over. The mayor's there for now, and as he casually walks away. Peter snaps a few obligatory pics of the mayor for the weekend edition. She doesn't inquire why the photographer is completely disheveled and covered in sweat, but that actually tracks as nobody in this mall notices anything that's going on around them. I'm pretty sure she is quite used to the sight of young men disheveled and covered in sweat approaching her. What do you know about me and Morgan Fairchild? I told you that story in confidence. Shut your filthy mouth. Well, hey, doctor, speaking of sluice bar and grill, Eric sits in front of his stolen video monitors as he watches Melody set up tables at the restaurant for the night. She pops a quarter in the jukebox, and despite her pushing random numbers, her and Eric's love song, Hearts of Darkness by Stan Bush, starts playing. Hearts of Darkness, running up that hit. No, that's, again, that's... that's Hearts of Darkness... That's hearts on fire. She she finds that odd. She finds that that song played uh, playing was odd. And when Peter shows up to fill Melody in on what he's discovered, or more more accurately, who he has discovered, Volker, she explains that that song playing, along with the orchids in her locker and that mysterious dress boxed up in her car, these are all signs pointing to Eric still being alive. Peter promises to come back later with the photograph of Volker once he has it developed to see if she can identify him as the man who set Eric's house on fire and killed him. Down on the first floor of the mall, Buzz gives Suze a free vanilla yogurt in exchange for a date. She takes the yogurt, which, by the way, is like a gallon of yogurt. Do you see the size of that fucking thing he gave It's huge. It really was. She takes the yogurt but declines his date. And as she walks off, she notices a severed eyeball in her vanilla yogurt staring up at her. Oh, Buzz, she says. Nice try. Oh, classic Buzz. That was the actual eyeball from the security guard that flew into the, the vanilla ice cream mix. Doctor, I have a hypothetical question for you. If Suze did eat that security guard's eyeball in her yogurt, 
would she improve her vision at all? Is that how that works? If you eat human eyeballs, do you get, did your eyesight get better? I mean, there isn't any evidence to prove that that's not true. My curiosity would be, how did the eyeball, you know, we've seen where it was in yogurt, it comes through the machine. How did it get through the little nozzle and not clog up the machine? Is the eyeball still squishy? It looked like it was rather intact. And it yeah, seemed so like a, a vein. So many questions. I think to Cade's initial question, I think, yes, that would improve her vision. Yeah, like if she was well, having... Like, like you said, there's been no studies to disprove it, so... Yeah. Doctor, you have... Actually, yeah, boy, you have pretty good vision, right? Um, I like to think so. Who are you? Nothing. Just bring bring those beautiful bring those beautiful uh, powerful eyeballs with you next time we hang out in the woods. Um, Jeepers creepers, where do yaks get those people? <laughs> also, around the same time, the smooth talking, tuxedo wearing piano player, who's been entertaining a dozen pathetically lonely women all day in the food court, takes his lunch break. Get this. Once he's in the private employee restroom. It's Tut's life in 10 years. Yeah, big time. Although there's no malls, so you're going to be playing God knows where. Uh, he peels. Notes and was it bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia? It's going to be like some whiskey bar. <laughs> Jason Tuttle will be taking the main piano. We'll get I, used to have a, I used to have a beer podcast, you motherfuckers. <laughs> Used to be somebody. We were we were going ahead full steam till Cade made a comment about of a chick not knowing how to fix her car. We got yeah, me too. We got canceled. Uh, there are no malls, so I can't even go chill out at the piercing pagoda. <laughs> <laughs> well, get this: the piano player. What was that accent he had? Was it French? Yeah, he had some kind of foreign accent. He was a real dapper son of a bitch. He gets in the bathroom, locks the door. As he takes off his tuxedo blazer, we see he has a bloody wound soaking through his white dress shirt. He was the would-be rapist that that tried to get Melody that Eric shot with the arrow. When he takes a seat on the crapper to take a dump, Eric kills the bathroom lights with his fingerless gloves he stole from the sporting goods store. And when the piano player flicks on his cigarette lighter on top of the, as he's sitting on the toilet, he's greeted by a giant King Cobra snake rising up from the toilet water between his legs. We saw Eric back behind the the walls of the mall with a burlap sack, putting the snake in the, in the pipes. Old Eric is starting to get pretty creative with his kills here. My question is where the fuck did he get a King Cobra snake from the, the pet store in the mall? The pet store in the mall. Oh, hamster. This is the mall. You don't think they're not going to have a King Cobra in their Ham- pet store? Hamster, goldfish, guinea pig, King Cobra snake. Look, I'm expecting a polar bear in the other room. If they don't have it, it's, you know what? I'm going to Miller's Outpost. Fuck y'all. <laughs> well, that night, Everyone, oh, and he dies, obviously. The King Cobra bites his wiener off. That night, everyone, including Buzz and Sue's, are dancing and partying their asses off at Sluice Bar and Grill. It's a place to be. Place for hunt and slash. 
It is the Piccadilly Cafe of the Millwood Piccadilly. Mall. There you oh, go. Oh, don't go there. Their fish fillets were divine. Peter shows up, and when he shows Melody the world's worst photograph ever taken of anything by anybody, she he- says... She appreciates him trying to help, but there's no way she can inde- identify that blurry blob in the photo. Oh, it's as, right there. It's right the, there. As the man who started the fire. All right, you can kind of see that's a face, right? She's like, no. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the earrings right there. It's clear as day. It's terrible photo. Enha- enhance. Enhance. When she asks why they can't just go to mall security for answers, because the guy was wearing a security guard uniform. Peter explains he already did that, and they claim they had no idea who the guy was. Peter thinks this might all tie together. Yeah, no shit, Wolf Blitzer. Really? All we know from this blurry photo is that he was buying a firehouse CD. Don't treat me bad! (laughs) (laughs) Melody thanks Peter for being such a good friend and admits it's been hard to open up to anybody since Eric died, as she really loved him a lot. This causes Eric to pause on the video monitors and get up and start doing dumbbell curls in the mirror. Gonna be good for Gonna look good for When he quickly realizes that all the dumbbell curls in the world won't fix his deformed face, he shatters the full-length mirror with his fist. It is moments like this in film where it truly makes me appreciate it that God made me so handsome because I... I can't imagine living any other way, to be honest. Well, see, it's it's good to know that you get a message, a deep, deep message from these films. Yeah, Phantom of the Mall made me appreciate what what I've got. I think we're all seeing the alternative lifestyle. I mean, Tut said that in 10 years, he'll be that guy playing the piano for the heartbroken uh, older women. And we all know that if we get hideously burned, we'll just have to take up residence. Well, there is no mall anymore, damn it. So we can't build our own underground cavern. Five years from now, doctor will be working at the Great American Cookie Company. They've gone out of business. Inflation. Not going to finish out my twilight years selling sweet, sweet dinner in Miller's Outpost. Excuse me, sir. I know you do a double doozy cookie. Could you do a triple doozy? My God. My God. The amount of icing. The amount of icing inside those two chocolate chip cookies is beyond the pale. You won't even, you'll be diabetic by tomorrow morning, man. My God. Would you like some M&Ms on those? Doctor, do you think their blood sugar levels will ever be the same? I'm afraid it's far too early to tell. I agree. I actually, I, I disagree. I, I think that's it's too much icing. It's well, too much. Blood sugar will be through the roof. <laughs> well, hey, my being will be on fire with <laughs> blood sugar. <laughs> Down the hall at Windsor Fashions, Melody's closing up shot for the night. Again, under the watchful eye of Eric and his video monitors down the sewer. Did y'all recognize her coworker Terry, who was leaving for the night? Cute blonde chick walks out. Bye, Suze. I'm heading out. Quick cameo, Doc. But I thought it was her. I looked it up. Sure enough. It was Melrose Place's own Kelly Rutherford. No shit. Kelly. Oh. I always thought she was quite oh. uh, What is the cat meow? Hubba hubba. Anywho. 
Harv Posner's shithead son Justin struts into Windsor Fashions on the hunt for some ass. She tries blowing him off nicely, Suze does at first, but as Justin becomes more aggressive and starts bragging about his dad owning the place, she's had enough and tells him to piss off. Before things can escalate further, Justin's daddy, Harv Posner, shows up and tells his kid, get the hell out of my mall. I don't want to see you here again till after the opening ceremony. He would have been there sooner to take on his son, but they showed him up in his office and Ken Forey's like, your son's down there causing trouble again. He's like, I'm on it. How's my hair look? <laughs> I don't know why I laughed so hard at Harv Posner checking his hair, but it's very creep walk-ins from our film Underbelly-esque, Doctor. That that was some epic hair. Yeah, and you know, you got to tend it before you go out into action. You know, if you've if you're got that kind of a mane, you can't just move. you got to... Now, and Harv, and Harv Posner is a public figure. He's not going to go out there without his his hair looking good. But I, I, I don't know why I laughed so hard at that, but I did. Uh, so a meandering Justin then finds a... Everyone's clearing out of the mall for the night. He finds a skateboard left alone at the base uh, uh. of the mall's escalator. And as he starts doing some rather amateurish moves on it... I don't know why, but this dude skating just tickled me every time I, I was just I was cracking up watching him well skate. as a former skater myself I could tell one that they when they cut to the wide shots that was not him on the skateboard and even then the, the moves were bush league uh but anyway he's doing his he's, he's fucking around the skateboard and as he's doing that Eric I think that's the, actually better for them to be Bush League moves from this character because this character's Bush League. Oh, yeah. He's gloriously oh, yeah. Bush League. No, he's gloriously Bush League. You're right. Uh, well, Eric appears at the top of the escalator twirling a lasso above his head. He tosses he, the... He's he turning like fucking Will Rogers. Like He's been training for any kill possible. He's been using a bow staff and a crossbow. How did he like... I'm going to tie up a lariat and throw it down this escalator. But he was more than a crossbow. You can use a lariat. It's well, he fire. does, and it lands perfectly around Justin's neck. Eric then feeds his end of the rope into the top of the escalator stairs, causing it to pull the annoying asshole up the escalator until the lasso eventually snaps his neck when he reaches the top. I'm 100% sure that the Austin Powers steamroller scene got their inspiration from the escalator kill in this scene. It, it was be. the longest fucking it was. No! All he had no! to do was stand up, run up stand a little up! and loosen the lasso. But look, skateboards, lassos, frozen bananas. This mall truly has it all. Am I right, boys? Indeed. Speaking and of I which. I will say that Eric... You know, his variety of ways of killing, you know, he's, he's pretty impressive. I mean, that's Doctor, you're such varied. A, Doctor, you're such a big expert on the original fam of the opera. Did he ever kill anybody with a skateboard? No, they didn't have those back in the day. Losers. Well, they were dealing with things like World War One aftermath and so <laughs> forth. But, yeah. I'm, I'm almost done with the cigar, boys. I've got just a little yeah. bit to go. Are you guys too? Very much. Yeah. I have loved the toast notes it has delivered 
the Man, entire that, way through. The consistent toast and cedar has been delicious. The 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 mineral that I mentioned earlier seemed to disappear in the final act, the the last third, if you will. Um, and the, and actually the the leather became very muted. The the retro hill almost became kind of inconsequential because the pepper was barely noticeable, the leather was very noticeable. In the last will, act, in the last act for me, it, it just goes back to where it started with uh, the toast and the cedar shining through on the draw. Is that kind of what you got to? Yeah, and I, I will say that this is one of the this is. You know, for years, you guys were like, you know, if you're if you're missing the retro hell, you're missing out a lot of the flavor of the cigar. But I think the palate on this cigar delivers a hell of a lot of flavor. No, it does. More so than a lot of other cigars. I no, mean, I, the retro to, hell enhances it, but it doesn't, no, I'll, it doesn't I'll go, open the cigar up flavor wise. I think it does. And I'll go to my grave. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, let, let the alcohol talk a little bit. It doesn't open to where it like just it vastly changes the pro, the 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 thing of the the profile of the cigar. All right, I, I'm gonna let the alcohol not talk for a little. I'll bit. go. Well, no, I get what you're saying. You can enjoy this cigar without blowing it through your nose. Mm-hmm. But I will go to my grave saying, if you smoke any cigar without blowing it through your nose, you're missing a lot of what the blender intended, and you're missing out on a lot of good stuff. And and sure enough. That pepper, that that leather, and that mineral were really nice additions, especially in the middle third. Uh, they really, really brought something to the table, and then we kind of came back full circle to where it started. Uh, without the pepper, it's it's just a nice cedar and toasty uh, finish. Um, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I, re- I really like the cigar. It's a very different expression of Herrera Stelli than anything else out there. Yes. Uh, I, will, I will say yeah, that. I would, I would definitely give it a thumbs up. I will say it's okay. Disregarding what you said about the Norteño, it's by far my favorite Herrera Esteli. Now, if you add the Norteño into that, man, it's pretty close. Because uh, I love the Norteño, and I think that this cigar is good enough to rival that. Maybe edges it out a little bit better. The Norteño? Yeah, oh, I love it. I, I love the bread on this. That's I tough. love the I love the lightness of of the That's cigar. High praise, I love bro. the fact I love the fact that it's you know it's a medium bodied cigar that just is packed, chocked full of flavor. I, I just I I really appreciate the cigar. Okay, well that, uh, that would be a tough now, call on my part. I have had so many Nortenos. I would need to at least smoke five or six of these. And five or six Nortenos, I, I, and just I will, go back I, and forth. Well, you I guys have. I mean, you I guys have. Nortenio is one of my favorites because my my main criticism about this cigar is is that I am 15 minutes away from an Nortenio. I can get them in a lot of places. Can't get this in a lot of places. You guys have. Sure. You sure. guys. You guys have Rev Java's number. If you you're like Rev, I we're. We're stuck. We, we're debating whether this is the best. We're going to need you to send us another uh, dozen of these. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you guys make that call. I only need four boxes. You, four guys want to talk, you guys want to talk price point? Yes, please. Yeah, hit it. And I have no clue because if it's a shop exclusive. Only one, place, mean, only one place you can get these. Man, uh, it's 
Uh, I hate saying thirteen fifty because that seems like it's my go-to starter price. Um, Tut, in yeah, a hundred, okay. I will, I will open it up thirteen fifty. In one hundred and fifty-seven episodes, I have it noted here. One hundred and fifty-five of them, you've opened your price with thirteen fifty. That sounds about right. But I think that I think I think that this is this is there. Knowing kind of what what uh DE kind of normally does. Uh man, but it is a shop exclusive that makes me want to up no. it a little bit. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stand on 1350. Yakboy, what about you? I'm gonna say they may want to take this to where it's more accessible. Even though it's a shop exclusive. Okay. But you got that rustic feel. You got the toast. You got the, do it, do it, the yaks, barnyard it. smell. Yeah, what's your guess? Where 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 is the cigar store again? The cigar store is Vintage Cigar Lounge in Rhode Island. Rhode Island. That's northeast. That's at least a five dollar markup. Uh, I think they're so fancy with all their. I think they're so damn fancy with all their lighthouses. I'm gonna go 14. Oh, you're going the other direction. I'm gonna go 14. I think I they're gonna. Him make, up. I think they're gonna make it's this more right. accessible. And, Here's the thing. I, I I'm driven, but it's Rhode Island. Rhode Island is typically a little bit more expensive. Well, so it would either be 1150 or 14. Well, I am going to because. If if you guess above, you lose. I'm gonna go one dollar. Price is no. Price is right. No, uh, it's actually ten seventy one. Ten bucks. Shit. Oh, you fucking kidding me? Nope. That's the. So my eleven fifty. That's cheaper than that. I don't think so. My eleven fifty would be better. I thought one of y'all was gonna say like, oh, no wonder Rev bought so many of them. No, that's you thinking that. But no, is is there a Nestle line? Uh, are you knocking on the Rev, man? Less expensive than that? Yeah. No, no, the Estelle line is right in line with that. Uh, they're 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 not expensive sticks, and I like that they kept this one in line price point. I would with, put them all. I would put them all over eleven. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, that does strike me. I mean, a shop exclusive. Yeah. I mean, unless they're unless they know that they're going to be having a regular. It's a, it's a phenomenal smoke for 1071. It is. Yeah, it I is. Can, I'll it concur is. with that. So go out and uh, I think they take, uh, I believe Rev said, you can give them a call. They they do phone orders. So uh, get get you some of the Herrera Steli Tienda exclusives. Man, the Tienda, um, it's, it's good. It is good. It's very, very good. And I And you know what? Usually at this point in the year, we've done a lot more. I've reviewed quite a few uh, Drew State cigars on the the website, just beyond the pod, uh, just web reviews. But uh, man, this is damn good. This is really, really good. I like it. Okay, uh, well, back to the back to the show. That's gonna give that's gonna give me pause because they're also re-releasing the Year of the Rat, and I like the Year of the Rat, but I'm like. Shit, do I go for Year of the Rat or do I go for the Esteli cigar? Well, it's about a $5 difference. Well, well. 
as Eric drags... Hard decisions called for hard solutions. Why not have them both? Yeah, just buy them both. And hard booze helps. That, that was a running man reference there. As Eric's drags as Eric drags Justin's corpse through the air ducts, as he does all his victims, Peter Baldwin and Melody exit Sluice Barn Grill and go to Peter's car to talk some more. He, he needs to know exactly what happened the night of the fire, and Melody re- reluctantly spills the beans. She says they went to Eric's parents' house around 11 o'clock at night, and when they arrived there, there was a notice from the mall's land developers, Harv Posner, that his parents' home was being condemned, just like all the other houses in the neighborhood had been. Eric was super pissed, she says, but she talked him into not letting it spoil their night as his parents were asleep, and you know what that means. Yoink. That's right. Go and get that waterbed rocking. Eric gave her some orchids, her favorite, queued up their special song, Hearts of Darkness, by whatever that guy's name is, and then they made love. You boys ever have a special emotional love song that you'd play on repeat while pleasuring the ladies? Mine was was Warren's Cherry Pie. I'd I'd put that on repeat. And the ladies never complained. Well, they, well, compl- I, they, well they, they complained a lot, but not about that song. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I dated a couple of strippers, and Cherry Pie was one of them. The other was Uncle Tom's Cabin. So Those were, those were, the, those were the names of the strippers you dated? No, those are the names of their songs that they wanted to make love. To. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you were introducing Uncle Tom's Cabin to your mother. On a center stage, <laughs> Uncle Tom's Kevin. <laughs> well, right before they could start doing it, <laughs> the house erupts in flames. And while Eric managed to help That's Melody escape out his upstairs bedroom window, he wasn't able to save himself or his parents. As she laid on the front lawn, dazed from hitting her head on the ground, she saw Volker standing over her with a gas can. Sirens could be heard approaching in the distance, so the mystery man ran off. Super reporter Peter Baldwin has heard enough now to tie Harf Posner to all of this. He is the 1989 Dan Rather. Would you say he spends a lot of time at Sleuth's Bar and Grill? (laughs) Yes, he does. Hey, the only thing left to do, he says, is dig up Eric's grave. It's the only way to be sure that he's not dead, and that actually makes some sense. Suddenly, a pistol's extended in the car window, and there's Big Bad Volker ordering Peter and Melody out. He asks Melody if she remembers him. Of course you do, he says. We've been friends for a long time. He grumbles, and right before he can put a bullet in Peter's head, the crafty photographer unleashes his blindingly bright flashbulb <laughs> from his camera into Volker's eyes, blinding him, and then he punches Volker in the face. Peter and Melody pop back into Peter's station wagon. Really? What? What's wrong with the station wagon? Why is this twenty-something-year-old hotshot reporter driving around in a station wagon? It's it's practical, and he can haul he can haul film gear in it. Actually, no, Tut. The answer is we're about to have a car chase, and they needed old, beat-up cars 
that they don't mind wrecking and they just gave this dude a station wagon. And they speed. Yeah, you could you could say that. So they speed off with Volker in hot pursuit, and he's even radioed Ken Forey to provide some backup. A car chase ensues through the mall's parking garage. Cars are totaled right and left. They're smashing into everything. Volker ends up sideswiping a few pedestrians leaving the mall. He just takes them totally out. Turns out it was that same poor bastard he hit with a nightstick earlier. He's like, oh, God, I can I can finally leave the mall. I want to go get some beers. He just gets knocked over with that car. Harv Posner's there with the hot dog on a stick gift certificates. Everything's- oh, I will say, yeah. Oh, okay, I remember this one. Uh, kudos to that stuntman because when he hit the ground, he hit the ground splat. It was it was a good hit. It, it was not a it was not a good controlled deal. It was all out splat. It was it was a gift certificate to Tom McCann. I can't walk. What good are shoes? <laughs> you'll take your free pair of capas and you'll like it. <laughs> My feet are useless. They're kangaroos. They have a little zipper in the shoe where you can put spare change. <laughs> All right, I'll try. A quarter. You could only ever fit one quarter in that goddamn pocket. <laughs> well, when the chase moves outside the garage, Eric, the phantom of the mall himself, emerges and jumps on top of Volker's mall cop car, bashing the windshield with his fist. Eric rolls off the roof just as the car drives up a giant pile of dirt, flipping upside down, exploding into flames. Unfortunately, Volker escaped the fireball just in the nick of time, too. Boy, wouldn't that have been poetic justice if that dude burned alive like he burned Eric's family and half of Eric's body? That would have been nice. That would have been po- poetic Volker's justice. Volker's actually quietly happy because that ruined the evidence. That car accident burned up the Queensryche CD he bought at, <laughs> at Sam Cooney. So no one knows he was rocking out the silent lucidity on the way. Uh, 89, yeah, it would have been silent lucidity. Or at least Operation Minecraft. Uh, silent lucidity. Tut, you're big, you're big these days on, on gay rock. That That's a good place to start. Uh, speaking of burning... I was never a Queensryche fan. Nobody, nobody in their right mind. Car was wrecked, but I'm never going to get back my Saigon kick CD. <laughs> Love is on the way. <laughs> and see, see Speaking of burning things, just in case you folks at home weren't listening to what I said earlier, which you should have been, we'll talk about that later, about Drew Estate's latest creation. I'm going to go ahead and repeat it again now, so pay attention this time. Oh, look at Todd with the Drew Estate Adobe. Nika Rustica, it's a good smoke. I actually reviewed yeah, that. It is. Hey, once again, go on the Tuesday Night Scar Club website and check out my review of that. It's a good smoke at a great price. Mm-hmm. Introduced during Freestyle Live Special Edition, 20 Acre Farm by Drew Estate is a complex and medium bodied cigar with super oaky and cedary notes, accompanied by a whisper of white pepper and bright hint of citrus. 20 Acre Farm is built using a velvety Ecuadorian Connecticut shade grown wrapper a sun-grown Habano binder, and a filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos from Esteli, Jalapa, blended with the opulent and majestic Florida sun-grown leaf, which is humbly and lovingly grown one harvest at a time by Jeff Borshowitz on a pristine 20-acre plot of land near the central Florida town of Claremont, Florida. We now join Peter Baldwin and Melody at Walker's Grove Cemetery, where Peter's busy digging up Eric's grave. Yak boy. 
I know you've dug a ton of graves out in the middle of nowhere. Have you ever dug up an existing grave and why? I don't know what you're talking about. I thought you'd say that. Plead the Fifth Amendment. Theoretically, if he were to dig up a grave, which we're not saying that he did, it might be because the feds are about or because somebody is about to redevelop the land and the bulldozers are coming through there. And he needs to get that body out of there pronto. But that's only theoretically. We're not saying that happens. Oh, what, dude, wasn't that a Sopranos where they buried a body was, in, so a base, in a basement yeah. of a house and like somebody bought the house and they had to go get the body? I think, uh, I think Cheech did it or like a long time ago. It's not like I'm going to garage you anytime soon. But uh, wait, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, moving on, moving on, moving on. I overstepped some bounds in our friendship, and I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, lucidity. Well, Peter finally reaches the the coffin. Song's gonna be on your mind all day. Tonight. It totally is. Fuck you guys. And he cracks open the lid. And, of course, the casket is empty. Next stop, logically, is Mayor Wilton's house, where she greets them in her silky nightgown. But I've always questioned this in a film, movie, TV show. Let's dig up the thing. If there's no body, why would they ever put a casket in the ground without a body? I don't know if that's the grave digger's responsibility. Like, before you put it in there, crack it open, make sure there's somebody. By law, I have to crack this open. And but I think the people who are paying for the but burial. If you're, wanting to, if you're wanting to cover it up, then you put it. Put and this it is excellent because ground. this crosses streams here because Tom Fridley was also in Friday the 13th, part six, which to Cade's point showed the ultimate grave digger, that whiskey drinking dude who's like, what do they think I am? Some kind of fart head? He's just throwing dirt. He didn't give a fuck what's in there. Exactly. Grave diggers don't oh, get this. My career in 10 years. When you're playing the piano, I'm that guy. Yeah. But who puts a coffin in the ground? The doctor. Without a body. The doctor, Yaks. In 10 years, when he's digging graves, he's drinking a bottle of hooch. He's not. He's doing the bare minimum. But that's my point. Have you seen what a fucking coffin costs? You don't put a coffin out there without a body. That is true. With wood prices these days, it's very, very expensive. Regardless, there's no body left over. It was burned in the house. Okay, great. So we're still doing a burial? Fuck no. Do you know what that shit costs? Well, listen. Mayor Wilton finds it very hard to believe, especially that her buddy, Harv Posner, is being accused of murder. She tells them if they really want to prove their case, they'll need to find Eric Matthews alive. Across town, Harv Posner is berating Volker for fucking up. He's supposed to kill Melody and, and Peter Baldwin, and he screwed it up. He charges at his hired goon, determined to rip out his precious medallion earring. Oh, not a good move. If you weren't wearing this goddamn thing, nobody would recognize you. But as soon as he grabs it, Volker grabs his wrist and says, over my dead body. Man, this guy loves that earring. You know what? And this is when I, I respect that guy. He's got fucking principles. That's right. It's like trying to snatch Trace Atkins' ponytail. You just don't do it. I'm a doctor, though. I think that Also it, because it's attached to that hat. I think if Harv Posner had ripped out his earring, 
there'd be a scene where we go to the piercing pagoda or Claire's and Volker's sitting there in the chair. Claire's. Getting, getting it put back in. Dude, I got my, uh, I got my four earrings put in, uh, inspired by Hudson Hawk. I got four earrings put in at, at Claire's in our little mall, uh, the summer before our junior year. Didn't you do a couple yourself? No, uh, I had all four done. The chick who was, I was 16. The chick working there might've been a year younger than me. She warned me, I'm not supposed to do more than one piercing in the ear at a time. And I'm like, fuck it, just do four. It'll be fine. One immediately got so infected that green pus was immediately I like. I say, if you did it at Claire's, what was the chances of infection? Of sh- green pus just started shooting out of one of them. So I took that out. And then over the next few months, the, the other three survived. Um, but then I, I started dating. Uh, I started dating a girl who I really liked, and her mother was very opposed to my earrings. So I, I, I let them go. But you, but I still, you can still tell I got three ears in there. I got three holes in there. I, to this day, I beg to get my earrings back. And I, maybe if I'm in one of your pirate metal bands, they would let me. But, uh, anywho. Volker says he'll take care of the situation tomorrow, which I'm assuming he means he'll kill Melody and Peter Baldwin tomorrow. And speaking of Melody, that night she has another one of her erotic Eric dreams, but this time as she looks up at Eric thrusting into her, his face turns into Peter Baldwin's face, and she's totally okay with that. They cut to her, and she's like, yeah, all right. But then his face turns into Volker's face. Yeah. It's time, pretty lady. And she is not A-OK with that. She wakes up sweating again. Man, this chick is really haunted, isn't she, Pills? How could you not be? She's been through a trauma, traumatic experience. I imagine that a lot of chicks I used to date wake up sweaty from dreams uh, about me. And me not not being around anymore. I, I it's called nightmare. I mean, I think it's called nightmare. Tremendous. Hey, LL Cool C. Ladies love Cool Cade. No one ever said that. I heard it. Somebody said it. No, oh, wait. I, never. That was me. I just said it. Said it right yeah. Now. Maybe you would know. No. The next evening at the mall, while Eric is busy placing bombs all over the basement, Melody is setting up tables once again at Sluice Bar and Grill. I really want to party at Sluice. You know it's going to be awesome. You know it's going to be Everybody does. When she sees Volker sitting in the corner with a drink and a cigarette, she immediately runs out of the restaurant to call Peter from the mall's payphones. Why she doesn't go to the manager and say, hey, that guy tried to kill me last night. Call the cops. I don't get. She runs to the secluded, dark hallway where the payphones are. And... First of all, can you imagine in 2022 sitting down at a, a restaurant and lighting up a cigarette? It happened my entire half of my life. I worked at the movie theater for many years. People would come out in the lobby and light up a cigarette and talk to me at the concession stand. You know, it was such a, a normal well, thing. 
But dude, it seems so crazy now. Like, well, like it's a like lot like the quote unquote smoking section. The smoking section in a restaurant was literally just the other side of the restaurant. Yeah, they just split it in half. Which was absolutely useless. <laughs> it was totally useless. I, I remember uh, my junior year of college, we, we were shooting a zombie film in my hometown or near it. And every night after we'd shoot, we'd go to an Applebee's in my hometown. And we'd sit in the smoking section, which was literally when you walk in Applebee's, there was a little, you'd walk up two stairs and there was just this stretch of tables encased in fucking smoke. And it would just drift across. And it was, it, it's just crazy to me that that was a thing that existed because it's, if you did that now, you'd be arrested. Like if I walked into a mall right now and just lit up a cigarette, I'd be looked at as a monster. First of all, there are no malls now. No, but I'm just, well, there are, there are malls now. There actually are still existing malls. And I think if I walked into a KB Toys and lit up a fucking cigarette, I'd be asking for trouble. Doctor? Uh, I guess it was last Christmas time. I watched uh, Die Hard and then I watched Die Hard 2. And in the first, the, the first like 30 minutes of Die Hard 2 and Willis is in the airport before the shit goes down, he's at the airport bar and he's just knocking back one drink after another and constantly smoking. And like even when like the ter- when like Bill Sadler and the terrorist guys come in, they sit down at a table. They've all either got a beer or a whiskey, and they're sitting there drinking and just sm- everybody's just smoking everywhere. It's crazy. In this airport lobby. Yeah. Well, uh, where was I? Oh, so she sees uh, Volker over there drinking a cigarette and she runs. She gets out a few words into the payphone to Peter telling her that Volker's there before Volker grabs her by the hair and drags her away into the bowels of the mall, kicking and screaming. Volker struggles with Melody as he tries to shove her in a trash compactor. But luckily, the phantom of the mall, Eric, swoops in to save the day. He's now wearing a ball cap and his varsity letter jacket. And yeah, half his face is covered with the mask. But, dude, in this scene, he doesn't really look that terrible. I mean, he's got a ball cap on. He's got the mask. But I saw way uglier people at Walmart yesterday. I had to go get my my daughter some poster board at Walmart yesterday. I saw way more fugly people at Walmart than Eric. He's got, he's got yeah. the bad part of his face covered. Um, God. The Belton, Texas Walmart, a.k.a. Darwin's Waiting Room. (laughs) Jesus. So right after Volker slaps Melody across the face, trying to get her in this goddamn trash compactor, uh, Eric taps him on the shoulder and proceeds to do a sweet-ass Chuck Norris-esque roundhouse kick to Volker's face. Dude, Eric was all about the roundhouse kick. All that marquee. He's done a year of martial arts training. It's paying off. Actually, I said Chuck Norris. He looks more like a deformed Steven Seagal with that ponytail, which is weird because now in 2022, Steven Seagal looks like a deformed version of Steven Seagal. I'm not sure how that works. 
Um, they trade punches back and forth. Volker grabs a fire axe uh, and starts swinging it wildly at the Phantom. Volker's able to shove Eric's head in the trash compactor, but as the lid is closing down on Eric, he's able to bench press it off of him. Thank God he stole that Nautilus exercise machine. He's got incredible <laughs> upper body strength. Eric's able to spin Volker around and put his head in the trash compactor. And due to Volker lacking the Phantom's upper superior upper body strength, he's unable to push that lid up and it chops his head clean off. Bye-bye, Volker. Volker is no more. He'll never get his Ned's Atomic Dust Bin CD back now. <laughs> no, Doctor. No, he will not. Uh, Ned's you go atomic. to his apartment, it's a whole bunch of Kansas. <laughs> I can see Volker listening to Kansas. I can see it. But I appreciate Doctor's Ned's... What was it? Ned's atomic dustbin. Ned's atomic bus dustbin reference. I don't late, think I've ever heard that. Late eighties, early nineties uh, alternative bands. They they rode on the coattails of uh, they might be giants. Okay. Get rid of those Kansas CDs, Volker. Over my dead body. Over my dead body. Volker's Not- definitely a prog rocker. Tonight is the night of the big mall investors 4th of July ceremony. Again, a horrible preposterous name for an event. <laughs> and as Harv the Paz Posner fixes his tuxedo and bow tie, he tells the only remaining mall cop, Ken Forey, that he doesn't want a lot of security hanging around tonight, making people nervous and ruining uh, the good time. Don't worry, they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. There's only one. There's I'm me. In. I'll leave. I get it. So as Ken Forey understands what he's saying and goes to take a nap, Harv, once Forey walks out of the room, Harv discovers Volker's severed head impaled on the coat rack in his office. That's not good. A worried Peter Baldwin arrives at the mall and he tells Buzz and Suze, who are once again blowing all, they've been working like two days at the mall. They're blowing all their minimum wage earnings at sluice partying up and drinking that's the way the mall works man peter baldwin tells them melody is in big trouble when melody awakens down in eric's sewer lair she can't believe her eyes as far as sewer layers go this place is fucking swanky that's when he's doing the lap pull downs in a minute eric has furnished his sewer lair with a couch and chairs coffee tables lamps Frame pictures of he and Melody all over the place. There's even a bust of a Greek statue on an end table over by where he takes a shit. Those filthy Ninja Turtles could learn a few things from Eric on how to decorate your sewer lair. Uh, That'd be cool if HGTV gave Eric his own show where he comes into town and remodels people's sewer layers. <sighs> I thought it'd be nice to remove the decaying rat carcasses over in the corner and put in a built-in bookshelf. Eric, Ma- Eric Matthews as the Phantom of the Flip. Only on sewer, sewer Hunters? Phantom of the Flip. 
Only on HGTV. <sighs> Today I'm gonna. I like, I like I like Sewer Hunters, and then you get Sewer Hunters mm. International. I mean. <sighs> Today, I'm going to replace those three dead hobo bodies with a breathtaking new window seat complete with fashionable custom curtains. I don't know. Something I might watch. At that point, you may as well throw in (laughs) his assistant that he brings in to look at the wiring and everything is Trace Atkins. That's a load-bearing hobo body, you dumb (laughs) son of a bitch. No, dude. What if Trace Atkins came on to Phantom of the Flip to redo his country manor, like out in Tennessee or whatever? Okay, Trace, what do you think of a new island in the kitchen? Really open up the space. Nope. Let's put a gun a gun safe in the kitchen. Trace, you already have a lot of gun safes. Eric, you're trying my patience, boy. We can always use another gun safe. You son of a bitch. You motherfucker. Dude. Phantom of the Flip, Trace Atkins, Country Manor, Eric wanted to add some open air with the uh, kitchen island. Trace just wants to put in gun safes? Come on now. That's totally watching Man Eater tomorrow, and he's going to spend the entire day with his headphones on listening to Queensryche's 1990 Empire album. I know it. I love it. Do it, Tut. Do it. <laughs> Can you feel it's coming? You fugly son of a bitch. You promised me a fire pit. <laughs> so, Melody, but where... Eric, Eric, where am I going to put my honky-tonk, badonka-donk gold record? <sighs> well, Trace, I thought it, we'd do like a mudroom in the foyer for shoes and your kids' backpacks. Be a nice area. Be a nice half area. To- half a face means half a paycheck. You ugly son of a bitch. <laughs> Out. That's too far, Mitzi. That's too far. No, Only one. Harlan will have his hat with the shark's teeth in it. Only one thing I like melted in my house, and that's my wife's. Delicious fondue. You son of a bitch. Do you think Trace Atkins ever ate fondue? Yes. I think he has. No. No. Me. No, I'm with you. He never had fondue. No, I think he has. I think he has. I think he resisted it until about two years ago. And then he got, (laughs) you know, just tricked into it. And then he was like, oh, this, this is cheese? It's like okay. queso. It's like queso. It's like queso. I like queso, you motherfucker. So Melody wakes up uh, and finds Eric. By the way, if HGTV does do the Phantom of the Flip, copyright 2022 Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Um, so Melody wakes up and finds also Eric. Also sewer hunters, because I, I, I don't want them stealing that either. Okay, if you do live in a sewer and somebody approaches you to redo your sewer hovel, talk, well, I guess you can't call us. You're not going to have a phone. Okay. (laughs) Find one of the few existing payphones left in existence and call Tut. (laughs) Uh, So Melody wakes up and she finds Eric over in the home gym area of his upscale sewer lair doing lat pulldowns 
on his Nautilus. This goes to Yak Boy's point. These air ducts that he travels in are so big, you could take a fully constructed Nautilus machine standing upright and just drag it down to your your sewer hovel. Hello, Obviously, Eric. he didn't see the Chuck Norris infomercial where you can actually fold that thing down and it travels better. Uh, well, I don't think Eric has ever done anything the easy way. This is 89, man. It's pre-Bowflex. You had to drag the whole fucking thing in there. It's true. It is pre-Bowflex. Todd, I think you're thinking of the Bowflex. It folds up under your bed. Hmm. Hello, Eric. Melody says softly. I'm sorry about the way I look. Eric huffs as he removes his phantom mask, revealing his badly melted two-face. One side's perfect, the other side, and eyeballs hanging out. It's all burned. Shame. Shouldn't have done that. Melody manages not to barf at the sight of his face and says that she always knew he was still alive and he was watching over her the whole time. Yes, nobody will ever hurt you, Melody. Nobody. I won't allow it. She smiles and extends her hand to his cheek. The good cheek, not the cheek that looks like a slab of ribs. Oh, Melody, I always knew we'd be together again. Eric sighs, and that's a giant red fucking flag to Melody. Look, I'm glad you're alive and all, Eric, but you can't expect me to live with you down here. It'll be fine. I built a trendy Murphy bed that pulls out of the wall, and I'm in the process of installing his and her custom poop buckets for our collective leavings, my darling. All right, he doesn't say that, and she doesn't say that, but... Doctor, do you have poop buckets in your apartment? No, I, I use a toilet. Do you guys like that Eric picked some trendy Murphy bed to pull down from the sewer wall? I do like the Murphy bed. I like bed that he's considered enough to buy his and hers poop buckets. Yeah, no, she doesn't want to. They don't want to cross those those barriers. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's not exactly how it goes, but you can tell by Melody's expression, she is not feeling this. Our new life together down here. No, no. I just got a waitressing job at Sluice Bar and Grill. I, I'm going places, dude. Upstairs. But at if the you mo- live here, you're only five minutes away through my handy <laughs> air ducts. <laughs> Why'd you say that like Trace Atkins? <laughs> They're one the same. Upstairs at the Mall Investors 4th of July ceremony, Peter Baldwin tries to explain to Mayor Wilton what's going on. But Harv Potts... decked out in a beautiful blue sequin dress that somebody just poured her into. Oh, my goodness. Do you guys not just think Morgan Fairchild is 80s perfection or no? I I think... Man, she's got to be close to it. She really does. And it's one of those things to where like I've never like if you were to if you were to ask me about the eighties most beautiful women, it's weird because I wouldn't automatically go to Morgan Fairchild, but the moment you show me Morgan Fairchild, it's like that's eighties. I mean that's I'd put her right up there with Heather Locklear. Uh who's the chick from Fall Guy and TJ Hooker? Heather Thomas. Heather Thomas. Oh yes. Like just Blonde 80s perfection. And it doesn't hurt that one of the first 
VHS tapes I became obsessed with during the 80s. It was a, a compilation film of different scenes from horror movies called Terror in the Isles. And they had a shot. They had a, a bunch of scenes of Morgan Fairchild from this horror movie where this guy's stalking her like in her house through a telescope. And we see her in the shower with boobs, not stunt boobs, actual Fairchild boobs. The hell movie was that? I'm going to give you a little bit of homework, Dodger. You guys, I don't know the name off the top of my head. You're going to have to go back and find that movie. But she was one, her and Christy. Good night, Brink- boys. <laughs> her and Christy Brinkley in the first National Lampoon's Vacation when she jumps in the pool. Those were two of my first boobs on screen memories. And those, those are important. Those, those, those have consequences. Uh, just did a jerking off motion into the, the camera for you folks watching on iTunes. Uh, upstairs again at the mall investors, 4th of July ceremony. Come on, Harv, you can do better than that. Peter Baldwin tries to explain to mayor Wilton what's going on, but Harv Posner steals her away to meet some very important guests. Meanwhile, buzz and Sue's need to get access to the security office to find melody so Buzz does a show for the cameras, rubbing his nipples and flashing his ass cheeks into the camera, prompting Here comes the, the weasel, prompting the brand new chain smoking 60 year old security guard to begrudgingly get up and leave his post. Can you imagine you're in your late 60s mall just opened? Your wife wants you to get a job and you got to deal with fucking Polly Shore. Really? I, I can see that in my future. After. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i love about this podcast in the third hour honesty <laughs> pure honesty after luring, come. after luring the guard uh out of the office buzz starts scanning through all the mall's cameras to try and find melody on one of the monitors Suze recognizes melody's keys on the floor of a back service hallway she dropped them when volker attacked her and they're off to find her Back down in his sewer lair, an excited Eric opens up a large armoire. He brought an armoire down there. This large armoire to show Melody that he's stolen a ton of stylish outfits from Windsor Fashions. So she'll have plenty of things to wear in her new life as a humanoid underground dweller. Purple was always your favorite color, he says, holding up the cocktail dress. Put it on for me. I'm sorry, Eric. I, I, I can't. I got this for you. I got all of this for you. I, I, I just can't, Melody says sympathetically. Eric points to the security monitors, which conveniently are now showing old footage of Melody browsing through stores with the dashing Peter Baldwin. It's him, isn't it? Isn't it? Oh, boy. Remember when we were kids, he says. Remember that? When we vowed that we would always be together. That we would never let anything tear us apart. I respected that vow. Uh oh. I'm, I'm sorry, Eric, she says, but things have changed. Yeah, his face looking like a fucking grilled cheese sandwich. Maybe. You for got starters. Real ugly. For starters, Eric flips out and scurries away on all fours like a dog through the maze of sewer tunnels after locking the door and trapping her in. Back up at the mall, investors' 4th of July ceremony, 
Everyone is drinking champagne, having a grand old time. Ace reporter Peter Baldwin, who's always holding a newspaper in his hand for some reason. We got to remember he's a newspaper reporter. Just give him a newspaper. Spots a now maskless Eric rummaging around in the electronic equipment section of the sporting goods store, just as Buzz and Sue's find Melody's keys and crawl into a nearby vent to find their friend. Why was Eric in the electronic equipment section of the sporting goods store, you may ask? And why exactly does the sporting goods store even have an electronic equipment section in it, you may also ask? Well, I can't answer that second question, but Eric took a handful of random wires from the sporting goods store located next to the snow skis and football helmets to finish up rigging up his detonators to blow up his bombs. I guess I couldn't get the radio shack buy off into that. No, he sets a timer. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Doug. He sets up a timer for 30 minutes. Things doctor are about to heat up at the Millwood mall. They are indeed. <clears throat> and Morgan Fairchild was in the 1982 movie, The Seduction. That's it. That's it. Watch it. You Actually, watch it at the 43-minute mark for about 20 seconds, and that's all you need. Vincey's watching it right now. <laughs> Vincey's totally tuned out. The doctor's all on board. You know what, though? That, that's a real good question, because I kept wondering why the sporting goods store had all this electronic shit. I bet you're right. Radio Shack wouldn't let them use their space, so they're like, just take all that shit and put it in the sporting goods store. Up in the air ducts, which are enormous, by the way, as we've said, as Buzz and Sue's can walk through them side by side. Those two teens are searching for signs of melody as Peter Baldwin crawls up in the air ducts, chasing around Eric, who keeps knocking on the metal walls to throw his pursuer off his trail. Eric's plan works as Peter eventually falls through a flimsy air vent and lands down in the sewer, surrounded by all the bodies of the Phantom's victims. Eric also set up a bunch of booby traps down here, and at one point, Peter triggers a a tripwire, which sends Eric's beloved pet King Cobra after him. Jesus. Speaking of the sewer, Eric is back down in his bachelor pad, shaking Melody violently by her shoulders and telling her, you're not going anywhere. Man, this has turned into a Lifetime Network movie. Am I right, Doctor? Uh, yeah, we're going to be together down here. The wrong burned boyfriend? The, the wrong sewer? The wrong sewer, definitely. Uh, Eric, I don't belong here. I can't stay here, she pleads. You will stay here. I won't let you go, ever. But I have a life up there, Melody reasons. No. No, without me, you have no life. Oh, brother. And now we know where the scenes from Empire come from. She slaps the shit out of Eric, and he almost hits her back before restraining himself. Up to this point, his whole life has been dedicated to protecting her, but he wants to give her a good, a good one, but he doesn't. So he kisses her cheek instead. He says that once he's done destroying what's above, he'll come back down here and join her where they'll be together forever. Not you or anyone can stop me. They'll pay for what they've done. So at this point, are you rooting for these kids to get back together? Do you think there's a chance? Or no. no. It, it's too toxic, right? It's, it's, 
Very yeah. much so. It, it just won't. Absolutely not. Look, he's got some sweet Nautilus equipment. You know, that, that sways me in his favor. But, no. <laughs> so you like the Nautilus and the way he decorated his sewer layer. But this is too much. Too much. It kind of reminds me of like that uh, when Britney Spears married that dude with the baggy shorts. It's like you knew it was bad news and it wasn't going to work. You just want these two to stay stay away from each other. It is just a toxic relationship. Agreed. Yeah. Let's agreed. face it. All we ever see of them, they talk about their love, but it's just sex. There's no love there. They're yeah, not all- reading books. They're not holy games. It's just sex. It's all orchids and booty. Which they, if they had called this movie that, I probably would have watched it back in 1989. Orchids and booty? Uh, that's a lifetime movie. Yeah. Well, from out of nowhere, Peter Baldwin bursts into the sewer apartment and he and Eric start duking it out. They're destroying everything in sight as they punch and kick each other around. And when Eric's fist goes through one of the security monitors, it starts an electrical fire that quickly begins to consume the Phantom's cozy hideaway. Right as Eric gets the upper hand and is about to finish Peter off, Melody gets in between her former lover and her new lover, and she orders her ex-lover to stop. She tells Eric she loves Peter now. And that gives Peter, Peter, Melody Eater the opportunity to knock the stunned Phantom of the Mall out cold. He like knocks him into a coffee table and then just punches him right in the face. But they're far from out of hot water quite yet, right, Yens? Very true. Did you like the Peter, Peter, Melody Eater reference? I did appreciate that. Yeah. I, I, I like that. It works. I, I accept it. He hasn't set up shop down there between her thighs, but it's coming. You can tell it's coming. With 20 minutes left on Eric's detonator, Peter and Melody stumble across Buzz and Sue's, and they all make their way out to the big celebration. The mayor had just got off stage after thanking everyone for supporting the mall, a mall that will change the city of Millwood for generations to come. Jesus Christ, it's just a mall, folks. It's just a fucking mall. It's, it's, it. Melody and Peter run up to Mayor Wilton and tell her that she must have everyone evacuate them all immediately because there's a bomb about to go off. I can't let you wreck this nice party, can I? Mayor Wilton says as she pulls a large automatic pistol from her purse. Who saw that coming? Nobody. Not Keep in mind. Sweet, Keep delicious in- Morgan Fairchild. Keep in mind. There's people milling around everywhere at this party while she's doing this, while she's holding this gun on them. But no one, par for the course, notices anything at all as she leads the two troublemakers up to Harf Posner's office at gunpoint. The mayor isn't surprised that the idiot Posner botched killing Peter and Melody earlier. And she also reveals it was her that covered up the arson at Eric's parents' house. As a major stakeholder in the mall, she says, this is my ticket out of here. I'm not going to let anybody screw that up. But somebody is going to fuck that up. And right now, as the phantom of the mall suddenly drops down into Harp Posner's office through one of his beloved air vents, and he strict presses 
uh, Mayor Wilton over his head and swamp tosses her out the office's third story window, sending her screaming down the crowd where she lands with a splat right on top of a table where she's impaled on top of a decorative spire right through her awesome Morgan Fairchild boob. I wanted to say that he yeeted her out of that office, but I can't. Swamp Toss is far more superior. He swamp tossed her ass. Uh, Doctor, I'm guessing she won't be running for re-election next term? Uh, I think she's going to be a one-term mayor. I think you're right. While Buzz and Suze are now driving around the mall aimlessly on a motorcycle with a sidecar that was on display for sale, someone in the <laughs> sidecars pan- are so fucking awesome. Yeah, they are, aren't they? I, I like them too. Someone in the panic crowd points out Melody being chased up on the ceiling rafters by Eric. So all eyes are on them now. Buzz stops the bike at the security office and he quickly takes over the PA system, warning everyone that they must evacuate them all immediately due to a bomb threat. While all the wealthy upper crust of Millwood flee for the exits, Peter's able to save Melody and security guard Ken Forey starts shooting up at Eric uh, at the top of the ceiling and he actually manages to hit him in the arm and loses a lot of blood. Eric's bleeding badly. But when he sees Harv Posner trying to escape below, the Phantom knows he has one last bit of revenge to tend to. Eric swings down from the rafters while holding onto a giant banner, just like Matrix did in this exact same mall in Commando. Although his was like a balloon. Uh, he, he tears it, swings down, swings. I mean, I, I saw the movie like once. We've all seen it, I think, once. A month for <laughs> 10 years. Uh, well, he tackles Harf Posner right through a storefront window. Harf begs for his life. I think it's a sporting goods store. Harf begs for his life with Eric, telling him it was all a big misunderstanding. And he even offers Eric a cash settlement. Harv says, I may have made a few mistakes in the development of this mall project. <laughs> killing your parents, killing your parents, being one of them, and burning half your body. I may have said some wrong things, but I'll eat my words, he says. Eat this, Eric says, as he grabs a working flamethrower off the shelf of the sporting goods store and torches, good story is this? Harv Potter. It's the ultimate sporting goods store. I know, Yax, you would like a sporting goods store that sells flamethrowers, but that doesn't that doesn't make any sense why they would have these working flamethrowers at a sporting goods store. I've just never mm-hmm. seen a flamethrower in a sporting goods store. A big bass <laughs> outlet or a great outdoors. Or... Had it then? Who knows? Harv. The Paz Posner, engulfed in flames and screaming in agony, stumbles backwards into the sporting goods shelf containing propane tanks, and the whole store explodes in a giant fireball. Or, I should say more accurately, a miniature recreation of the front of the sporting goods store done with miniatures explodes. 
it looks cheesy, but I'll still take it over CGI any day. They actually made a little storefront and blew it up. Eric, his body now encased in fire, once again, bursts out of the wreckage and dives off of the upper balcony of the mall, falling to his death. Or at least that's what Peter and Melody assume. Just then, Polly Shore and Suze pull up on their motorcycle and order Peter Baldwin and Melody to hop on the, hop on the bike as the mall's about to blow up any second now. Melody jumps in the sidecar, Peter gets on the back of the thing, and they speed off. We then cut back and forth between the four of them racing towards the exit and the detonator's timer ticking down the final seconds until finally the motorcycle makes its way out the mall's main entrance just as the giant explosion destroys everything that Harv Posner and Mayor Wilton worked so hard for. That's another miniature, by the way, the front of the mall where they blow it up, but that looks way better than the sporting goods store. I, I appreciate it. I like it. Holy shit, yells Buzz as they watch them all burn. Holy shit indeed, Buzz. An hour later, as police, firefighters, and reporters all crowd around the mall's parking lot, Melody turns to Peter. I guess Eric got what he wanted, she says. Yeah, but I did better than that, Peter Baldwin comes back with. I got you. Melody smiles, and they start sucking face right there in front of the fire truck. The camera then takes us back inside the mall as we glide over the smoldering wreckage. When we come to Eric's crumpled body, his face is now completely burned. He didn't know he's wearing a mask now. He's completely fried. And the camera zooms in on him, just waiting for his eyes. You all, as you're watching this, you all thought those eyes were going to pop open. Oh, waiting. yes. I was waiting. It. Oh, yes. But they didn't. I thought they were setting up Phantom of the Mall 2, Eric's more revenge. But nope. <laughs> Eric's more revenge. His, yeah. his, eyes stay sh- his eyes stay shut. And I guess that's the end of Eric and the end of... I liked it. I liked it. The Phantom of the Mall, the end. It Well, it also, because they lingered on his face, it makes you think just after they ended, his eyes opened. It could go a million different ways. It could be like, you know what? Eric finally got his revenge. He's at peace now. That works. Or like Yaks, like, man, you know what? Horror movies have done a lot worse where it's, he'll just pop back up in Phantom of the Mall 2. Depends on how much money this makes, whether his eyes open. I wasn't expecting him just to jump up like, my Nautilus machine. I need it. I thought his eyes would open. I was surprised when they didn't, but whatever. Uh, did you guys like this movie? I did. It was it. It encapsulated I, an amazing time period. That's why I picked it. More than I, more I, than I, almost more than almost much and more than many other much better '80s horror movies. This film like I said earlier, encapsulated mall culture and the setting of the mall better than anything I'd seen. And, I, and that's kind I like, of, that's I like kind of why I went. That it, was a, it was an 80s adaptation of the Phantom of the Opera. I mean, it was a, I thought it was a neat little novel concept. Uh, I appreciated it. I mean, the, the movie had character. I think it had heart. 
Um, I was glad to watch it. Would I watch it again? Probably not. Uh, well, do- but doctor, it was interesting. Doctor, I said uh, that was the end, but there is the end credits. And like the best 80s films, they uh, horror films, they enlisted a punk band from the time to to come up with a rockin' Phantom of the Mall song to close out the thing. Tell us a little bit about the band and the song. Uh, what? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, don't know much just- about. Well, I just couldn't believe when I when we were talking about it, Doctor, you mentioned you actually have a CD of this band. Yeah, there's a punk band from the 80s called the Vandals. And oh my goodness, that was them? Yeah, I recognize Yeah, their, I know the Vandals. I recognize the name in the in the end credits. Uh I don't think they had this on any of their albums. I, I actually have an album of theirs called Fear of a Punk Planet, which came around around this time in 1990. They're one of those bands that never really probably caught any fame outside of Southern California, but they were kind of an old school Southern California punk band. So they came up with the song for, uh, for the end credits. So uh, it is a rock and tune. And yes, it does use the R word, uh, which could never be used in in a song nowadays, but uh, I'm glad, I'm glad they didn't uh, wash it clean on amazon like we need that when we're going back and saying we gotta we gotta change the end credit song on phantom of the mall eric's revenge we've gone too far uh you gotta leave some shit alone um i'm a fan of the flick though man i i can't believe like you mentioned earlier i can't believe i hadn't seen it before it's a lazy horror slasher movie with you know just a great setup great scenery I, i really can't believe i hadn't seen it I know, and I, I I really, really dug it. Um, and I actually liked it a little more on my second viewing. Um, I was able to pick up a little bit more. So, yeah, I thought it was a fun flick, and it definitely just took me back. And anytime something can do that, I, I appreciate it. Uh, which, of course, that wasn't their intent to document the 1989 mall scene, but they, no. inadvert- they inadvertently did it, and I, I really appreciate it. Uh, it was really cool just thinking back to all the all the mall years of my my childhood so uh yeah i like this movie a lot so i thought after our we had a little more cerebral movie last time around our intro into march to halloween i thought this would be a good just 80s uh flashback to to some some good kills and some some great 80s stuff so I hope you uh, folks at home enjoyed uh, sticking around for the ride. Listen to us uh, tell you the story of Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. I uh, hope we got you interested in the Herrera Esteli Tienda Cigar. It also sounds like it would pair very well with a pumpkin ale. Uh, sounds like the sweetness in Tut's pumpkin beer brought out some of that sweetness that Yak Boy and I got in the cold draw, but never got it once we set the thing on fire. Uh, my both, I actually did the, uh, Phantom Bride hazy. And then I went to the Phantom Bride, just the original, cause it's a little, got a little more sweetness into it. And I thought maybe that might, but nope. Uh, they're both very good beers and they, and they both played very well with the cigar. Yaks, you liked your St. Arnold's, uh, double IPA well enough. 
It did. It, it worked well with the cigar. Did not conflict. So. And doctor, the Oberon, will you buy it again? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I got no complaints with it. Um, probably would have been happy with anything tonight. So, uh, but yeah, nothing. All right. And, I, and you know what? I shit on <laughs> Bell's Brewery a lot because that brown porter they did. It was really bad. It but was, their other offerings were good. Okay. I mean, well, you know what? I think we also did. Uh, we did a, a, a no, I thought it was like a breakfast out. It was, no, th- no, they did a something of the lakes. Yeah. Beer. Yeah. Um, and we did that movie where aliens invade at the summer camp. And the kids are trying to get away from the land. I think we paired it with that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but, th- but that brown porter was uh, honestly the worst beer I've ever had. Well, I would say try this out. You know, the American wheat ale, so it's light. It's not an IPA. It's, it's 5.8%. It's got a little more than an average kick to it. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, whether this is our last Entry into 2022's March to Halloween, Drunken Stumble to Halloween, remains to be seen. We might come at you with one more. If not, uh, it'll be soon after that. Uh, Tut, it's been a good night. Why don't you give us some links? Man, you can hit us up on Instagram at, at TNCC underscore podcast. You can hit us up on uh, Facebook, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Please subscribe to us on uh, Tuesday Night Cigar Club on YouTube. Uh, you can hit our website, check out all the cigar reviews. Uh, Bitsy has book reviews on there. Then we have beer reviews, and we have obviously movie reviews and podcasts. Uh, also, you can like run over to uh, any of our sponsors, grab that. Uh, we would definitely appreciate it. And then, yeah, there you go. Hey, speaking of uh, the doctor's reviews, I get a uh, Google email once a month, our most visited uh, pages on our website. Mm-hmm. For like the fourth straight month, speaking of uh, Trace Atkins' Maneater, the most visited page for the last four months is the doctor's review of Toxic Shark. <laughs> Toxic Shark. Which he probably doesn't even remember a goddamn thing about. Oh, it had a good looking chick in it. Do you mention that in your analysis of the film? Yes, I do. She walks on her skimpy black bikini most of the time. <laughs> what do you think is the number one rated uh, link on our website? Uh, I, I, I think I did put some bikini pics in that article. Yeah, that, it's, it's all making sense now. Oh, and Tut, I am pleased to announce you haven't mentioned these folks in a while. But uh, we are back in bed with FamousSmokeShop.com. Oh, okay. All right. So obviously tonight's cigar is a shop exclusive elsewhere, but if you're in the mood uh, to shop for some cigars, feel free to go to famoussmokeshop.com, go to Cigar Monster, heavily discounted, very popular brands with free shipping most of the time. Stock up. As long as you get a hundred bucks in your cart, enter promo code TNCC20. And you get 20 bucks off your cart of 100 bucks or more. That's the exact promo code I entered when I got my Nika Rusticas. Oh, did you get those from Famous? I did. I got these in a, a, like a five pack more to get me over the 100 buck level. And there you go. 
It's a good smoke. It's a very good smoke. Um, so yeah, everybody go to famoussmokeshop.com. We're uh, proud to have them back on board with the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. And I am proud to have all you boys here with me tonight. This is fun. I needed it. Um, I have a movie selected if we get to squeeze one more in here before Halloween. We're not going to do uh, the final installment, the latest installment of the new Halloween movie. We've done uh, the 2018 Halloween. Then we did uh, last year Halloween Kills. The third and final installment, Halloween Ends, comes out next week or roughly around there. Uh, uh, October 14th, I believe, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Um, I don't think anybody's clamoring for us to do it. And honestly, for this format, I don't. I, I dread watching movies one time in the theater and trying to put together a, a narrative for us to talk about. Um, and while well, I'm excited, hey, and any of Michael Myers movies, a movie I'll watch and I'll enjoy. Uh, I, th- I think if we do get another movie in here before Halloween, I can pick out something uh, a little fun and a little exciting uh, outside of that universe. So we'll see. If not, we'll see in November. Uh, and who knows what we'll do then. But uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, like Tud said, follow us in the meantime on the Instagrams. And uh, we, we, we still put out a lot of little stuff when we're not doing full shows. And in the meantime, boys, may the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Sayonara, motherfuckers. We'll see you next time. Bye. To learn more about the time I was unjustly fired from my job at Camelot Music in Canton, Ohio's Belden Village Mall, Please search the dark web for my insanely objectionable and undeniably bone-chilling short film, Phantom of the Balls, Cade's Revenge. The year was 1988, and one day a rich widow with tits out to ear strutted into the music store and asked for the latest REO Speedwagon cassette. I liked her vibe, and it was the 80s after all, so I smiled and told her that I had a Speedwagon in my pants and it wanted to take her for a ride. So yada, yada, yada... The next day, I was starting a new job at Brookstone, where fat, tired guys came to sit in massage chairs, and nobody ever got laid in the back of the store. This is actually the second time I was wrongfully terminated from a mall store. Way back in 1987, Hickory Farms had to let me go in regards to an incident with another buxom customer and my meat stick. Security was called in on that one, obviously. But Cade shall still get his revenge, folks. His bittersweet revenge on you all. Actually, I may need to swing by the Chess King first for a corduroy vest, but then it'll be revenge time for sure. Nothing says mayhem and revenge like a good corduroy vest. Nothing. And everyone will pay. Oh yeah, to learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, please visit VintageCigarLounge.com and DrewEstate.com. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'BrienStemple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. 
This is Keith A. Howell saying, until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well.